mishap yeah. but uh we got out of there however we did that and now we're back and speaking and... of uh looking for the ocean this might be one of the days we get closest to finding it wink oh my gosh but... spoiler alert if you haven't seen the title of the episode <laughs> whoa but this we picked up a hitchhiker so that's what we always refer to our guests now as those hitchhikers that'd be kind of funny oh okay <laughs> now that we've canonically like set that up bit. that we are in a car this entire time <laughs> I don't know if you listened uh, to last week's episode yet, Carson. I'm uh, not. Okay. I wanted to. Uh, I saw. I it saw came it was, out yesterday. Uh, yeah. Sarah. So right yeah. for Monsters Inc. Yeah. Oh no no no. Sarah's no, our Monsters oh, you... Inc. But we did a bonus episode of her too, oh, okay. where um, we get stranded at her house for a bit, her mansion oh, okay. for Halloween. Carson Hume. Did I pronounce your last name Hume. right? Hume. Hume. Sorry, my bad. Yeah. See, so, if you, I'm okay with from his friend. There are some other guests we've had on where it's like I've been with them in person for multiple years and i don't know how to pronounce their last name and i feel way worse about that than you <laughs> um carson introduce yourself explain how you know me and also just who you are or you can explain how you know mark and it'll be very interesting to see what you come up with there <laughs> yeah let's do some yes ending here yeah how do you met, know me i met mark like two minutes ago i listened <laughs> to him on a podcast a couple of times um no but um so I'm Carson. Uh, I first interacted with Danny um, on an internet forum starting around probably 2014. Oh, I think is when I joined. Um, that sounds about right. I joined in 2012. Yeah, so. I said I joined in 2014. Jesus Christ, probably. it's been 10 years since I joined that website. <laughs> yeah. Go on, sorry. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just a forum uh, generally box office and film discussion um and then we kind of um have a couple side ventures that me and danny both um and so i said would say around like 2018 me and danny probably started talking more one-on-one personally um and i met danny a couple times um once in chicago once uh in ohio at went to cedar point cedar point um yeah yeah met him a couple times Consider him a good friend. Yeah. yeah. It is great to have you on, Carson. And also, um, to give... I will give a little more context for what this website is to the listeners. I, I feel like maybe you're being intentionally vague because you don't know how much I want to put out there. Right. I, yeah. I, that's fair. Um, I'm not going to say my username, even though anyone who listens to the end of this podcast can <laughs> probably find it easily because it's my Letterbox username. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... It, uh, this is a website where, um, you know, you discuss the box office. This is where I always like on all my podcasts, I'm like, well, I know a lot about box office cause I've studied it for a bit. And it's really just, I've, I yeah. goofed off around there in high school and beginning of college. Um, and then around when college came up, I was a little less involved, but he, Carson is all, I say he to Mark more, this is, you know, weird dynamic, but Carson oh. is, if you know my, my game, I've told you about in the past, Mark, where I wrote outlines for movies and we simulated the box office and did all that jazz for it uh carson is a member of that game uh yep we are both we are both not in it anymore really but uh (laughs) but uh yeah memories um why are you no longer in it if you don't mind my asking 
Why am I no longer in it, or why is Carson no longer in it? I'm no longer in it because I feel like it is a massive distraction from my actual writing endeavors. Uh, so, and also, uh, and I feel like we can say this because it's pretty unlikely any of them listen to this episode. <laughs> it's gotten to the point where a lot of the other writers in the game we don't really like reading their stuff anymore because we'll yeah. give this feedback and they won't take it. Yeah. And since it's a peer review type of game, it's something where I don't really want to personally, I don't want to put in the effort to write a lot of things for an audience of basically eight other players over half of which I don't really respect their opinions on. <laughs> and yeah. it's one of those things where I feel kind of like an asshole saying that. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, I know I'm a better writer than them. But it really has gotten to the point where it's like I like I follow some of the other people on Letterboxd and like they're good people. Like don't get me wrong, but I see their opinion on a movie on Le- like for example, we talked about it a little bit before this podcast, One Done Wild. I, I've seen a couple of their takes on One Done <laughs> Wild on this pod on there already, and I'm just like I I just completely want to throw out your opinion because it's like you're like these subplots are boring. I think you think these subplots are boring because you're probably on your phone during it because you're watching it at home because I know who you are and you're the type of person to be on your phone during this type of movie. So yeah, like, and just like. For me, like, once Danny starts talking about dropping it, well, like, that's one more, le- one less person that I'm like, oh, like, I'm interested in reading the feedback on what I write from what they say. Just like some of the other people, I'm just like, there's still like two or three people that I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'm interested in what you have to say, but then there's like five others that I'm like, I there's... don't really want to read your stuff. And I what? don't care at all what you have to say about what I write. One of these days, Mark, what we should do is because we know how we just did a bonus episode because we couldn't watch something. We should definitely do a bonus episode where it just kind of deep dives into the history of this internet thing we did. Because <laughs> I think it would be interesting for us to like really like just hand it to you and you'd be like, oh, wow, to everything involved with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's how it was when you told me about your Chuck Norris film series. Like, <laughs> I remember we spent like five minutes just you telling me about that. See, and I was like, holy that's cow. That's the thing, too, where it's like, you know, I would write. I, I, I mentioned this, I think, during that is that I brought it back in this new iteration of the game. And I put a lot of effort into the revival of it. And then it bombed at the box office because the guy doing the box office didn't like it, even though everyone else gave it like on our Metacritic, it had like a 67, which is fine. Like, you know, it's like, it's like, okay, room for improvement type of thing, you know? So, but it's like, well, if for fucking mom, so I don't want to fucking keep doing it. You can be fair, That was one of those things where like, (laughs) I feel like you wrote it for players that were like in the game in the older years and stuff. And like, I was a newer player in the game at that time. And I was like, uh, I don't really get this. Well, but my point yeah. is, is that it's not like, it was clear I was putting more effort into it than some other stuff that yeah, was getting. 100%. That, that like is he, also what drove me away from this game, is the fact that I knew I was writing the best stuff, and yet no one ever gave me a franchise until finally, yeah, like, the last year again, it, or, Sorry, you go, I think, you go. I think some of the other players are just like, I feel like are just so interested in writing like, certain kinds of films that i'm just like okay you're gonna write this one thing and then i'm gonna count on you to write that one thing every time and i know what i'm gonna get from you and that's fine it'll be probably be decent but it's just like no and there's even like one player in the game i'm specifically thinking about who did that really damn well like <laughs> yeah consistently they would write the same type of movie but yet that movie would be like, oh, yeah, top five of the year. Like, it might yeah. be the same type, but, like, it's good. Yeah. So yeah. I can't really be that mad at it. Exactly. Uh, 
But then there's people who, like, you write the same feedback every single time and they somehow get worse at writing. So it's just like, I this is just depressing to me. And then yeah. it also, but um, where was I going to go with what I was going to say before you mentioned that? Because I do want to mention, I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, it just, you know, oh, no, no, it was the box office thing where it was like, you know, uh, very specifically, Mark. Every year I tried to launch a franchise and every single year, the stuff that was designed to be a franchise would do less than what was predicted by everyone. But then the stuff that they'd be like, oh, but we're getting you breakouts would be stuff I couldn't sequelize. So I'd be like, well, this is dumb because everyone else in this game has a huge franchise and no one in this game is like, they're like, oh, we'll give you your uh, original animated movie that ends with the person turning into a mute bird at the end of it. We'll give that... 400 million at the box office. Great, I can't make a sequel to it because the, the main character is a bird now and like that's the happy ending. <laughs> like, I, I, now I really want to know about it because hearing it from the outside, I feel like they're behaving like audiences would where they want to give franchises to things that are not designed to be franchises. Well, like Dear Evan Hansen made so $250 million. About... How is this like a Dear Evan Hansen sequel? <laughs> but that's what the people want. You know, I think I think I think I box office though. Sequel. Do they want another Dear Evan Hansen? I, I remember I, I texted think Cars. Do. I think I they want to have, look at what he does when he goes to Paris. And I remember has to I texted learn a Carson. There. I was like, I swear, if this does not, if this movie does not make money, uh, I will put into production Dear Zoe Murphy, a Dear Evan Hansen original sequel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But do you guys yeah. have any life updates going on? Anything new? Well, lately? Carson, Carson, what 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 do you like? What do you want to say about yourself as a person unconnected to me? Before we get into that, because you know you um, exist. You are a person. <laughs> you are, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm a recent college graduate. Um, graduated oh my gosh, from my state university. So applying for jobs and stuff. Nice. Fine. Um. Got two degrees in supply chain management and management information systems. Wow, you have useful degrees, unlike oh. us. Oh, <laughs> um, still, I I, work I say at that Chili's. when Mark's a working actor. <laughs> I work at Chili's as a cook, though currently, um, which I think is more fun than you would think it is. But I don't every, every day that's you walk in, that's pretty impressive. Being a cook at Chili's. Because Danny sent me that you lived in Ohio and you worked at Chili's, and I thought you were like a host at Chili's or something. But that's pretty cool that you're actually like making the food. Yeah, that's something that yeah. I like. I and I do a lot of like catering things for side money, and it's always fun when you get to be part of the line. You know, yeah, with the chefs I say I like together. it. I mean, and I know I know, I think it's fun once you know like the whole line, and you're not just like locked on one station, and you just kind of hop around and just like do everything. Yeah. 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 But that's what I do for the most part. So you watch movies too. I do watch I do watch movies, yeah. yeah. Just not good. No. <laughs> Just I'm kidding. I'm still angry yeah. you went to see Don't Worry Darling over my multiple other suggestions. <laughs> I did. But that was like thoughts? it was like all movies. There was like well I drop don't your hot know. take, because I know your hot take. Just drop it. Do it. Just drop it. Do it. About the Woman King, is that where you want me to go? No, no, no. Drop your hot take on Don't Worry, Darling. You have a hot take. Yeah, Harry on Styles Don't is good. Harry Styles is really good in it. Yeah, that's your hot take on it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's good. I mean, I think he's the best part of the movie. I know, but it's okay. I accept that. We're allowed to have like. We're not gonna argue about Don't Worry, though. No. I don't. I don't yeah, care. I mean, it's Darling. And also, it's more. Your take is more interesting than mine, anyway. 
Like it's yeah, more interesting I mean, to be and like, like obviously, I think overall, like it's like there's that movie's like it's building to a lot of interesting things, and then the conclusion is totally like, oh, yeah, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, don't worry, darling. Is is um, you should watch Serenity instead. 2019. Serenity 2019 <laughs> is a. It's got the rules in it. Played by Jeremy Strong. It's a so fun movie. I like the, I like Serenity. I I should I rewatch like, it. I'm curious if it'd be something where if I you know you see it and you just think and you it's know bad. what it is. Yeah. Well, well, it's something more like with cats, right? You go see cats thinking it's going to be bad, and you go into it leaving it like, yeah, that was bad. But then you rewatch it, you're like, oh no, you know what? You just you're just ready to call it bad, you know? But then it's like, oh no, I actually really enjoy this. It's not a so bad. It's a good movie. It's just a good movie. You know? I feel like Serenity might be that. You know, it might just be a good I, like movie. I. Like, I don't think of Serenity and be like, oh, that sucked. Like, I'd be like, yeah. I think Serenity and I'm like, oh, that was weird. Mark, have you seen Serenity? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you should just oh. watch Serenity. <laughs> uh, we won't say anything more. You should just watch Serenity. Yeah, just the, watch uh, the movie. Matthew watch McConaughey movie. and Halfway movie from 2019. And Jeremy Strong's yeah. in it, you too. You mean Interstellar, a but not Interstellar? Well, Jeremy Strong's in it, and he plays the rules. And I hope that's like the name of his character is just the rules. So that oh that appeals God. to you. That doesn't you sound like my kind of movie. I don't like things that are unhinged like that. Not unhinged, but you know, I don't like <laughs> Pete Doctor movies because they have they take place in his imagination. So I'm not like. Well, Serenity is really fun. Oh like, uh, yeah, white people looking off camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I remember right, that movie got delayed like three times before it came out, and it ended up being shuffled to like the studio that only released three films before closing. <laughs> who was like, the director on that movie? It's um, I think it's is it Stephen Knight? It's the guy who directed. Locke. I knew, I know he wrote it. I wasn't sure if he directed it or not. No, yeah, it was his follow up to Lock. Lock, Locke yeah, really that's why it's so funny. Is because like it's the follow up to Lock. <laughs> And it's just like this absolute fucking like it. It's like, what is this movie? <laughs> um, okay. Um, stuff that's happened to us in our last week. Uh, Mark, do you want to go first? If you have anything, or do you not? No, have never. I mean, I've just been in rehearsal for a show for a long time. So, I mean, which is fine. It's just that's that's my life is being in rehearsal right now. So I'm I haven't gone on any. It's Halloween. I guess it's Halloween for you guys too. <laughs> yeah. But Whoa! What? I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm missing uh, uh, my brother and me to Halloween even... party, but I skipped it for this. Yeah, I mean that's kind of where I'm at too. Is like, <laughs> I have had some people be like, even just tonight when I was coming home from work, some people were kind of like, "Oh, we could do something," and part I knew I had to come here, but I was also just like, I'm very tired this year for whatever reason. So that's kind of where it is for me. I watched Barbarian like two nights ago, and that was kind of my Halloween celebration. I might, we both I might finally Barbarian. watch Orphan. Well, yeah. aren't you watching Wendland Wild too right now? You said that's kind of a Halloween yeah, movie. Yeah, that's right. I'm watching Wendland yeah. Wild. So I'm, I'm just watching a couple Halloween movies and balancing that around doing other things. But I haven't like nothing, nothing no major changes right now. Nice. And Carson, do you have anything going on? Uh, I went to a baby shower today. My Ooh. first ever baby shower. Yeah. Whoa. How did that it was, go? It wasn't particularly exciting, you know. So it's like it feels like like ninety percent of it was like opening gifts, which like that is what a baby cool. shower is. Cool. I've like, never cool. been to a baby so, shower. 
But I've been to a what? wedding shower. I'm just saying, I've never been to a baby shower, but I've been to a wedding shower. So yeah, it's it just like 90% of it was opening gifts, which is like cool. I'm I'm really happy for you. And like half the so the wedding the baby shower is for one of my coworkers who's also a really good friend as well, not just a coworker. But so I was sitting with a bunch of other coworkers, and they all like kind of dipped out early, and it was just like, oh, it's just me here now. Because I was just like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel but like that's very time. uh very um. At least for me, when you were in high school at an open house, and you know you're friends, you're really good friends with this person. So you go to their their graduation party, their open house. Is it just called a graduation party where you guys are? I yeah, call them yeah. open house. Yeah, what's okay. an open house? It's just what I guess Indiana's local dialect of it is. It's a graduation <laughs> party. It's an open house. Whatever. That's like um, when Julius called his dances sock hops. Yes, like, like he that grew thing. up in the fifties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like that. Yes. Um, but anyway, you go to these open houses. And you know the person whose open house it is, and you say hi, of course, but then they're busy saying hi to everyone else, and you just look around, and it's like, either all old people, or it's like, oh, this is someone you did a play with, but otherwise only hung out with show choir kids, and ergo, you don't know any, you know, that's all I'm saying, it's like, that's yeah. the vibe that this seems like it gave. Yeah, no, like, it was a good time, I was happy to be there, I just like, everyone dipped out, and I was like, oh, I'm sitting at a table by myself now, that's kind of weird. Yeah. But, weird. no, it was a good time. Yeah. I went to the Chicago International Film Festival. I saw, I think, six movies. No, I saw nine movies. Hold on. I should have opened this on Letterboxd. Six? No, 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 nine. No. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was definitely, I definitely saw movies. Uh, I saw Black Adam. No, <laughs> I did see Black Adam, but uh, not not at the uh, um, film festival. Uh, I saw nine movies, yes. I saw, in order from least popular to most popular on Letterboxd, I saw Devotion. Plan 75, St. Omer, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, The Novelist Film, Causeway, Corsage, Alcaraz, and Broker. Do you guys know what any of these are? Or should I? Yeah, yeah. I know what yes. Causeway is because you told me about it, and that's another white people looking off screen movie. Uh, Brian Tyler Henry is second build. You, uh, He's not on the poster. Yeah, well, that's, that, that is annoying. You're correct. I'll give you that. that he and should that's be the on thing. The poster. It's like, if, I, if he was on the poster, I'd care Brian, about it. But Brian like, Tyler Henry and Jennifer Lawrence do a movie together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like he's great in it, and J Law's great too. But the thing is, um, I'll be honest. So many movies where he's the best. Like in Beale Street, if if Beale Street could talk, it's like you don't even know he's gonna be in there, and then he shows up. And he's like, ha ha. I like. Um, I feel like one of my who was I was one of the critics groups the year Beale Street came out. They gave him best supporting actor, but then it was like this is for Beale Street. Widows and Spider Man into the Spider Verse, and I'm like, <laughs> honestly, respect. He's the he is like one. Of, I I can't say he's the absolute best part of Spider Verse or Widows, but he's definitely top three of he's those. He's a casts. part, yeah, yeah. He's, like, he's definitely like he's definitely good in them. Like, yes, hundred percent. Yeah, I remember. Well, I, think actually, <laughs> I think it's funny about Causeway is that like I think we talked about this several times. It's just like I could be like, oh, it's J Law's big return. It's J Law's big return. And they're like, don't look up happened, Carson. And I was like, oh, well, the right. thing is, Causeway. <laughs> Kazo is actually shot before Don't Look Up, and yeah, it definitely yeah, is a true, better... Yeah, but I was thinking, uh, like, man, we haven't had a J-Long movie in so long, and you're like, Carson, Don't Look Up. I'm like, well, oh. I guess that kind of goes to that poster, though, where the poster for Causeway is just J-Law. Like, it is a J-Long yeah. movie, whereas, yeah. like, uh, Don't Look Up is like, it's everyone. Everyone's here. Yeah, um, I think right? Don't Look Up is the next Adam McKay product more than the J-Law return. Yeah. Yeah, but what was I going to say about... uh? I don't know about Causeway. No, I don't. Well, I was going to say about this festival in general is uh, I only really, I gave most of the films a three out of five. 
<laughs> the only ones that I thought were better than that were um, Alcaraz and Broker, which I gave four out of five. Broker's the new uh, Hirokazu uh, Koreda film with Song Kang Ho in it. It's really great. And then Alcaraz. Oh my gosh. One. A... Yeah, it's a Korean film. Oh. Um, yeah. Alcaraz is the new film from the director of I'm Loading Up Now. Um, from the director of, do you remember that movie, Summer 1993, that came out a couple years ago? Yeah. No. no. Yeah, it's her. She did it. And Alcaraz okay. is really good. It's Spain's submission for the Oscars. But the best film I saw was How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Yeah. Which comes so out. I'm hyped for this movie. Yeah. It comes out in spring. It is basically Ocean's Eleven, but about climate activists that blow up a pipeline. I would say I was already excited for this movie, and then I saw like your reaction to it, and I was like, "Okay, I was like, like it's, it's this great. is probably this is one of my most hyped movies of 2023." Like, aside from like Oppenheimer and Barbie and stuff yeah, like that, those, are, like, those like, are the two big ones, Oppenheimer and Barbie. I mean, they really are. Are they not? Yeah. Now, the thing is, everyone always genders. like <laughs> <laughs> you got to do the whole feature. I mean, also then, you know, it's also that same week as uh, Mission Impossible also. Yeah. So it's and like, you know, oh, I, I, just a very, very Mission crowded. Impossible. You know, I love Mission Impossible. That's my... Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I also did see, I will, I've been talking a lot, so we'll go for, then I also saw in theaters, even though there aren't festival films, I saw all, the new All Quiet on the Western Front and Wendell and Wild, which are both on Netflix right now. And I highly recommend both of them. They're both better than anything I saw at the festival, in my opinion. Uh, better than anything? Yeah, I mean, oh, sorry, you, you, no, 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 no. Well, how to blow up any 2022 okay. movie? Any 2022? Okay, gotcha, movie, gotcha. Yeah. How to blow up a line is definitely better than uh, I think better than both of them. Yeah, but that's also because how to blow up a line is more my type of movie. My thing is like, like I love the 1930s All Quiet movie. Like I like really like that movie, and I'm just like the new one just looks like 1917 to me. It's just like yeah, but I. I know you like 1917, but I don't, and I liked All Quiet a lot, so I'm like... Yeah, yeah I get it, I get it. It's like, like, you can see, like, looking at the trailer, it just looks like, oh, yeah, this no, looks definitely. like 1917. I mean, I definitely had the thought during it quite a bit, it's like, oh, this is what 1917 should have been, because that's someone who doesn't like 1917. Um, and then Wendell and Wild, which we already kind of addressed a bit during this, is like... I think it's. I know you haven't watched it, yet, Carson, but I I think it's really great, and I think it is relevant to talk about here. Maybe we can talk about it more on our next episode when Mark finishes it. But because we've talked about Henry Selk a lot on this podcast, oh, so I I actually have not. Well, actually, I've seen James and the Giant Peach. Actually, that's the uh, one. Henry I Selk don't. That's seen. better that... than we had actually before we. I I think we had only really seen the Nightmare Before Christmas before we did that episode. Oh, actually, I think we. I, had, I saw Coraline. And Coraline, theaters. yeah. And Coraline. Right. What am I talking about? I've not, I, I, haven't seen, I haven't even seen Coraline. I've seen James and Giant Peach. And actually, now that you mention it, I've seen Nightmare Before Christmas, but it's been a long, long time. Like, uh, I don't really remember it. I think, uh, to like, I should take now, I think, uh, well, we dropped this already on the podcast. I don't think Nightmare Before Christmas and James and the Giant Peach are all that. Uh, I think Monkey Bone is bad. I don't think that's a hot take at all. I think no one likes Monkey Bone who's seen Monkey Bone. Uh, but then I think Coraline is really good, but I think Wendell and Wild is better. Sure. I mean, I just like, it just feels like one of those things that I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that. I should. I should. Yeah. Um, also, I saw Jonathan Majors in The Flesh. That was pretty cool. Right. We love him. That is exciting. Yeah. yeah put him in a picture. You did a cool Q&A, right? I was yeah. actually surprised. I was surprised when you were... Risk- 
um, listed those from least popular to most popular, that was at the bottom. Well, I think these other ones have screened at festivals more. It's like who's been viewed yeah, the most. Yeah, but I mean, that, that played at TIFF, didn't it? <laughs> okay. I think it played at TIFF. Think about, so. I'll put it this way. If you're a letterbox crowd and you're loading up your TIFF um, watches, you're not going to pick Devotion. It's not a very letterbox friendly movie. I'm sure yeah. by the end of the year, Devotion will be the second biggest on here after Broker. Yeah. I think because oh, Broker is like, obviously like, like, what, Broker's 75 such a letterbox was- movie. What Plan Seventy Five and Corsage were like the second lowest. Like I, I thought no, it might plan be in... no Plan Plan Seventy Five was the second lowest. Corsage is like third highest. Saint like Omer I thought it might be higher low. than Plan Seventy Five or something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've, I, I gotta say, seeing Plan Seventy, I mean, I get it. They're gonna pick the movie that's directed by a Japanese director. No, sorry, <laughs> they're both directed by Japanese directors with a Japanese cast and crew. But having seen Broker, which is passed over, and Plan 75, it's like, mm, I mean, I guess you just kind of assume Decision to Leave is going to win. So maybe that's why you're not bothering with it. <laughs> Y'all, I'm loving this. We should probably switch to games. Carson. Yeah. Are you ready for the Letterbox game? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So the Letterbox game. Letterbox has added a feature where they list the most similar films algorithmically to the film you just watched. The letterbox game is I'll give you five movies, and you have to guess what movie I'm talking about. After five okay. movies, after two guesses, I'll give you the year the movie came out, and then you get two additional guesses where you get two additional movies. If you can't get it by the seventh movie revealed, you lose. So an example I'll give you right now is Finding Nemo, because you just watched Finding Nemo, so I won't use it, obviously. So the five films you would get would be How to Train Your Dragon, The Croods, Ice Age, Ice Age 2, The Meltdown, and The Good Dinosaur. Then if you didn't get them in two, I give them 2003, obviously. And then the next two films you'd get are Shark Tale, which I think is really funny. It's not in those first five. Shark Tale should probably be the first film. And then Luca. Um, Yeah, that makes more sense. (laughs) I removed the films by the same director and in the same franchise. So obviously Finding Dory was the first film listed. Right. Um, But yeah, I'd remove same director and same franchise. So you got to choose if you want to play competitively with Mark or if you want to work with Mark. No, let's do competitive. I think I, I think I. Okay. I mean, and I think feel like I paid have. Yeah. So now what we're doing with I guests, think you can too. Now what we're doing with yes. guess is I will give you. I usually say in the past month, but we have such a backlog, so it's been a while since I've done one of these. That these are over the past two months. I put ten of them into um into a um generator, not a generator, letterbox list, and sorted them by popularity. These are the three most popular films. We'll start with the most and go down so it gets harder. You ready for your first round? Yeah. All right. This one, I think, actually, even though it is the easiest film, this might be the toughest round. Your five films are Happy Death Day, Scream 4, the Scream new one that came out this year, Scream 3, and Werewolves of Finn. Um, Is it Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? That's also my guess, but I, I guess I should try a different one. But I cannot think of another one. I was kind of hoping to knock this one out round one. I'm going to say bodies, bodies, bodies. But Carson can win if it's that. It is bodies, bodies, bodies. Yay. Um, the other I mean, two films. Oh no, I'm gonna I lost. The other two actually, films. I, I actually just watched it. What do you think? I liked it. I think it's fun. I think you it's like solid. It, it's yeah. I think it's solid. It's just like, I mean, when you list a bunch of screen movies, like it obviously makes sense. Like, I, mean, I was going to say, the, the next two hints you were going to get was the original Scream and Scream 2. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, I, mean, I think was, it's solid. I think I feel like you could have done more with the premise, but like I think it's solid. It is Among Us. 
Mark, have you gonna watch Bodies, Bodies, Bodies at any point? No. <laughs> All right, that's fair. And I, I don't know. I hate to be like I'm, I don't I don't want to be that guy, but I'm just not. All right, you ready for something harder? Yeah. All right. First one is the Hitcher, the Secret Window. Sorry, Secret Window. There's no the. Saw. P two. Psycho. Out of curiosity, are these the most popular films by some Letterboxd metric, or just in general highest gross? No, it's by most views on Letterboxd. It's at most views, right? Yeah. Yeah. Although, I'll say personally, I think Bodies, Bodies, Bodies is the most obscure film of these three. Most obscure film of these three? I think, yeah, if so. I don't think these are tough. Like, these clues I mean, it might be a tough round, but they're not movies or, they're movies you would have heard of. I I mean, I don't know where to go to this one off the top of my head. I'm gonna guess smile. I have one in my back pocket, but I'm gonna start with. Smile. I feel like I th- I thought this game was gonna be easy because I follow Danny on Letterbox. <laughs> because just like I follow like I follow him on Letterbox. Why would it not be easy? <laughs> but no, this game is my nightmare, and I I, I just legit why. have no idea what is it. Especially like some of these some of the clues you list. I'm like, oh, what is that? Oh, oh well, if you don't know what the movie is of the clue, I can tell you what the movie is. I can look at it if you're curious. But I also feel like Saw and Psycho. You know, yeah, I say Saw and Psycho are. I don't know. You have to Sounds guess. Say, Just throw out a guess. The Predator franchise what's, what's is really popular, out? so you should guess Alien Two. All right, Alien <laughs> Alien Two is my guess. There is no movie called Alien Two. Mark just has messed with you. There is no Look, film titled Alien Two. <laughs> Alien S. Alien. All right. Um, what Mark, bug? what was your guess again? Um, smile. So neither Aliens or Smile are in the top 25. Still, you're both wrong. The year this film came out is 1990. I don't. I will know. remind you, Carson Moore, because I know you follow my letterbox. As I said, we haven't done one of these since the beginning of September. So these are movies from could potentially be at the beginning of September, not like actually recent movies. Because I have such a backlog to get through. Because we haven't done okay. one of these in a while. And we're about to record like four episodes in a row after this about guests. So <laughs> fun, fun, fun. Man, I still don't know. Nineteen ninety. Saw psych. You what said what? Saw Psycho, The Hitcher, Secret Window, P two, two thousand seven, directed by Frank Calhoun. I don't know anyone in this besides Buzz Bentley. Huh. <clears throat> Angela, a businesswoman, finds herself locked in with an unhinged security guard in a parking garage after getting stuck working late on Christmas Eve. That sounds cool. Too bad has a 2.9, so I probably won't bother watching it. I don't fucking I'm know. I'm going to guess Tetsuo the Bullet Man. You mean the Iron Man? No, the sequel, Bullet oh, Man. Oh, there's a sequel? Okay, I didn't know there was a sequel. Yeah, um... because Iron Man was 88. I th- I'm, I'm assuming Bullet Man. I mean, these these could all be wrong. I don't know. I just am thrown by 1990, so I want... Yeah, I 1990s. Yeah. They're singing happy birthday. You just want... Jonathan Larson. Was it this movie. Rent? <laughs> but <laughs> uh, Jonathan Larson could have seen this movie. Uh, Rent is pretty uh, sick. It's what? got some scary like, stuff. Uh, Flatliners? What, that's 1990, right? Flatliners is your guess? Yeah. All right. Well, I can tell you that Mark... Uh, Tetsuo the Bullet Man is not a top 25. I'm looking quickly through here for... And also, uh, Flatliners is not in the top 25. Your next film is not going to help you too much. It is the remake of The Hitcher. 
1990? Mark, are you Googling 1990 films? If so, no, you're under arrest. Tets- I'm, making, I'm checking that Tetsu with a Bullet Man came out in 2009, so I look like a fraud. <laughs> <laughs> man, this is... I'm telling you, man. You just want me to name every movie that Shinya Tsukamoto directed. I can do that, but I will have no idea when they came out. Again, this is a very popular movie. Very popular? Yeah, I don't know if it's like okay. I don't know if people nowadays are like, oh yeah, this is great to rewatch. But it's definitely a movie that I had known, I knew about like in middle school. Even though this was like a horror movie that like, no, don't watch that. You know, come on, guys, give me a guess. You can even just throw out a guess. Halloween, and, like, Halloween, to... Halloween. Which Halloween, the first one. Okay, Carson, um, what's your guess? Uh, it's too late, but Anaconda. I don't know. Uh, Anaconda is not in the top 25. However, Original Halloween is in the top 25. So now I will give you the final film and then I will recap all the hints. Okay? okay. So the final film is the 2003 remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So it's a film from 1990, 1990 and the seven movies you have are The Hitcher, Secret Window, Saw, P2, Psycho, the Hitcher remake, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. You also know that Halloween is in the top 25. Jeepers Creepers. Child's Play? That's a good guess. Uh, neither Child's Play or Jeepers Creepers are in the top 25. So you guys on this one. Now, I will give you your answer in the form of a Maroon 5 song. Now let me be in misery. Ow! It's Misery, the Rob Reiner film. I can see why I didn't guess that. <laughs> I mean, uh, the only reason I would be mad is because I know you went to the fucking <laughs> the movies to see it. And the thing that's funny is, um, well, I guess it's been so long ago, but we did do Stand By Me on our previous one. So Mark probably thinks that's so long ago. But again, I just have this backlog that I'm trying to get rid of because we have four episodes out of us. Right. But yeah, it's Misery. Have you not seen it? I'm saying, no, I have not, and I I don't really know like the details of the movie other than it's a Rob Reiner movie. I mean, it's kind of good. Well, the basic premise of it is is that um, it's a Stephen King book. Yeah. Main character is James Caan, who plays a writer who obviously is like, oh, it's like Stephen King writing about himself and fans. He gets in a car accident, and Kathy Bates saves him, but Kathy Bates is a fan who is uh, insane. <laughs> Is like you know, like you know, forcing to stay in bed and write her a book type of thing. It's really good. Um, Kathy yeah. Bates won the Oscar for it, and the reason why it's kind of crazy is because one, it's, she plays like a horror villain, which is like what? Yeah. And also, she was the only nomination for the entire film, so it's like, well, like she is really great in it, though. Okay. Mark, have you seen Misery? No, but I know Misery. I've kind of tried to watch it a few times, and I think Misery is one of those movies where other people will agree with me on this. Sometimes it. It just doesn't work exactly right for me. Oh, for you? I was going to be like, I thought you were like, it just doesn't work. Dots. No, I just I just can't watch it and get into it, and I don't know why, but it's been a while. All right, you ready for the final round? Yeah. Really right. quick, Rob Reiner is like Stanley Kubrick if, like, Tom Hanks played Stanley Kubrick. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. Go on. All right. So this is the last round. Your okay. five films are War of the Worlds, the Spielberg one. Okay. Dark Skies, Skyline, Knowing, A Quiet Place. The Day the Earth Stood Still with Keanu Reeves. The Edge of Tomorrow? 
Edge of Tomorrow is not in the top 25. However, the Keanu Day of the Earth still is. However, neither are correct. So the year this movie came out is 2002. Signs? It's Signs. So you both think it's Signs? Yeah. Uh, so you're both right. I know you watched it recently. Ah. Yeah. It is Signs. Yes, it is Signs. Uh, the other two films you would have got would have been Arrival and Nope. Both of which. Yeah, that was more, like my first thought was like, it's my first thought was like, oh, no. But it was like, oh, it's not no. Yeah. So, yeah, it is Signs. Uh, yeah. All right. That's the Slaughterbox game. A decent movie, too. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're going to do the game of lists. Game of lists. Lots of people make lists of movies and put them online. This is a game where I go online, find one of those lists, and then ask us some questions about it. All right. So, people have seen the title of this episode, so they know we're going to be talking about Finding Nemo. And Finding Nemo was included by deadline on a list of the best screenplays of the 21st century. Uh, The best 101 screenplays of the 21st century, as voted by the Writers Guild of America. And this was released December 6, 2001. Now... December 6th <laughs> to 2021. Yet. I wrote 2-1 tw- <laughs> in like, my little notes here. I guarantee you this movie was not out yet, so... <laughs> and also, also like, uh, well, this is kind of a spoiler for the list, so I just want to ask the questions first. First question. Wait, are we competitive? Three. Are we competitive? Yeah, let's do competitive. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What do you... I, I just... I mean, this... My game is very whatever you want your to game do. Is way, well, your game is also always way quicker than mine. Because <laughs> it's all about whatever. Um, first question: What film was considered the best screenplay of the 21st century? I know this, so Carson, you want to guess? Because I know it. I I literally was gonna say like I know what the number one is, but then I was like, we'll see if Mark asks me it. That's the only thing I know about this list because I remember this list you coming out. Like, oh. Deadline, you said. Deadline as Deadline is reporting the results of a Writers Guild of America survey. Writers Guild of America survey. Um, 21st century, best play. 2021, you said it was when it was? Yeah. Very recent. Which really surprises me because of the other films on the list. Um, 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 Mulholland Drive. My answer is, uh, Get Out. What an, what a great guess, Carson. The answer is Get Out. <laughs> but Mulholland Drive is a great Is Mulholland guess. Drive on the list? Control F it. Let me find. It well, I have it on my phone because I oh. put this in my email drafts. Oh, okay. Because I, have, I write the questions individually on my... I feel like it might not be on there, though, because it's the Writer's Guild, so they might just be mad at it, you know? Because it's... Yeah. Nope. It's number 41. Okay. Oh, cool. Okay. That's, yeah. that's, that's respectable. For, yeah. Right yeah, between uh, In Bruges and A Serious Man. The okay. Serious Man? How dare a you? A Serious Man. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> All right. Next question. This is, to me, the most interesting fact about this list. Who has the most titles on this list as a writer? Okay, so it's 20... It's 2000 onward. See, because if it was longer than that, if it included the 90s, I'd immediately go, oh, it's Tarantino. You know, like... But then I'm like, mm, I don't think he would have gotten any, like, recognition for the Kill Bill movies, you know? Uh... But Mark's smiling, so I'm going to go with Tarantino as my answer. <laughs> Think about someone who writes some really good scripts. <laughs> I think you're being sarcastic, and I'm going to lock in Aaron Sorkin as my answer. <laughs> I don't know if you know how sarcastic I'm being. I don't know if I was adequately sarcastic. 
Oh, wait, wait, wait. Okay, can I change it even though I locked it in? Let me, hold on, Carson, what do you think? I don't, you, you don't know me that well, Carson. Yeah, I but, don't. So, yeah. let's say the sarcasm. Oh, well, I was going to change someone you know. I was going to say Anthony McCartan. So, that'd be a really funny winner. Oh, yeah, say that would be a funny one, too. I actually don't know that person. <laughs> it's the person who wrote Bohemian Rhapsody. He writes, like, like basically. Like, the Darkest Hour or whatever, yeah. Yeah, he writes, like, oh my every gosh. biopic. He writes, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, um, every mediocre biopic that wins like the actor best say, actor that would surprise me like i don't i'm telling you man this these 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 screenplays are incredible Ooh. they're they're just just 21st century um crazy okay. screenplays i mean i don't I feel like it's not a good guess, but like one of my first thoughts is like Charlie Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman is actually a very good guess, but it's not Charlie Kaufman. Danny, do you want to make a real guess and then I'll give it to you? I think Sorkin is a real guess. I'll go with Sorkin. Okay, it's Christopher Nolan. Oh, that is kind of funny to give him like the screenplay <laughs> that, yeah, award. I never would have thought it. I never would have yeah, thought it. As a screenplay Nolan. award, that's pretty funny. I, honestly, I did think about him briefly when I came across Tarantino that I was just like, well, I, I assume they didn't nominate any of the Batman ones because it's an original screenplay, and then the Prestige is also based off a book, so it's like no. the Dark Knight is yeah. on there. I thought you said it was an original screenplays. Well, here are the ones that are Granted, on here: Memento, all, Memento honestly, Dark Knight, Inception, Prestige. Yeah, the Prestige. Okay, Prestige is good. Third, final question: What is the highest ranking film written by women? Written by women. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna give the worst possible answer and hope the WGA proved me wrong. I'm gonna go with Guardians of the Galaxy one. <laughs> Written by women. Oh man, I don't necessarily know who wrote movies off that. Who? Like, the thing is, my actual I'm thinking, like, I'm thinking like I'm thinking of movies that were directed by women. I'm like, uh, Hurt Locker is directed. It was written by Mark Bull. That's what. I, immediately, I'd be like, okay, what? Who wrote Big Glow's movies? No one. All right. Uh. Say so, because like one of my first thoughts was like. Um, did Coupla write um, oh, Lost in Translation? That seems like a good guess. I, I was going to go Lost in Translation. translation. Uh, Lost in Translation is 19, and the highest is number 12, and it's Bridesmaids. Written by really? Alan oh. Malo and Kristen Wiig. Again, that's one of the ones where I'm like, oh yeah, I guess you kind of had to be there for that. Because everyone loved the Bridesmaids when it came out. And it, like, yeah. it did get an Oscar nom, which is crazy for like yeah. what appears to be an improv so, like, style I, comedy. Like, I ain't seen that movie. I don't think about that movie ever. Like, It's a movie that I keep meaning to watch. Like, I watched, I tried watching The Hangover like a week ago. And I don't much care about The Hangover, even now that I've tried to watch it. But I just keep thinking that I need to watch Bridesmaids. It's one of those things that a lot of people have seen, and it's a big Bridesmaids deal was for a reason. Was it a Paul Feig movie? Yes. Yeah. See, I like really I'd, watch, <laughs> I'd see, I don't feel the need to watch it because I don't like Paul Feig. Oh, Come okay. On. Ghostbusters. Like, like the only really good liked, Ghostbusters um, movie. I mean, I, I mean, that's the movie of his <laughs> that I've liked the most. But like, I just the Ghostbusters I don't... is a simple favor. Ghostbusters. Okay, because Mark said Anna Kendrick, and so I was like, I don't know. No, Ghostbusters oh, is the like one that I like the most, I would say. But like, I just like a simple favor. I did not like. Well, are we are we done with the game of lists? Yeah. Why are we here? Well, why first, did we pick up this particular hitchhiker? Well, well, why don't we ask him, Carson? Where did you first encounter Pixar? Um, I mean, I can't say for sure where my first encounter with Pixar is. I had, I know, growing up, I had. 
Toy Story, Toy Story 2, Bugs Life, and Monsters, Inc., all on VHS. And um, the movie that we're here to discuss today is the first movie that I have a vivid memory of seeing in a movie theater. Um, and so I would say I had all of those four movies growing up. Oh, and Toy Story 2. Did I say Toy Story 2? I feel like I just said Toy Story. Yeah, hey, you're good. You're good. But I had all of those movies. I watched all those movies were in constant cycle with things that I watched. And then obviously, um, so this movie, first movie, I don't know if it's actually like the first movie that I saw in the theater, but it's the first one that I like have a memory of seeing, if that makes sense. No, yeah, yeah. It's like how my first memory of seeing a movie in theaters is uh, Toy Story 2, but then when I look it up, I see Tarzan released before it, and I go, oh, I guess it must have been Tarzan then. Yeah, I, know I saw exactly. Tarzan. <laughs> so, um, and then after that, you know, I mean, beyond that point, um, whatever, Incredibles is next. I saw that in theaters, and then what? what's next? Cars, I saw that in theaters. Cars, yeah. Uh, Ratatouille next, saw that in theaters. Wally saw that in theaters. And so, I mean, I was, what? Funny Nemo came out in 2003. I was four years old when that came out. Incredibles, I was five. Saw that in theaters. Cars was seven. Saw that in theaters. Wally was eight. Saw... Is what Wally was the next? most recent no, Pixar Ratatouille. movie you saw in theaters? Luca. Right? Oh, okay. Luca. I, was, I, yeah, I, was, I, I thought you skipped Lightyear. So I think it was Luca. <laughs> <laughs> Luca was the most recent Pixar movie I saw in theaters. Yeah. We were getting to that earlier when you were like, you met me in Chicago and I was waiting for you to drive. I'm like, oh, you must be saving for the Pixar talk later. Yeah, I, uh, I did. Uh, the famous also, Music Box Theater. You should tell Mark what the other movie you saw at the Music Box was. Um, the other movie that I saw at the Music Box the night before, Luca, we planned this whole trip around uh, me and Danny and a couple other people that we um, interact with online. Uh, we ran out of the theater to see Luca. We made big plans for um, Labor Day weekend last year to run the theater to see Luca. I waited to see Luca until until I could see it in theaters because I didn't want to see it any other way. I did too, but uh, unlike you, I flew out to Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. No, it's okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and so conveniently, the same weekend, the night before, playing was Cats. He was at the yeah. rowdy screening that I always tell you about where people... Yeah. Thanked us after the movie. Yeah. Thing there. Oh, <laughs> it was so good. Cool. Yeah. Um, love cats. Obviously, great movie. Great movie. Yeah, it is great. So is Luca. <laughs> but so yeah, which I've is seen, better? Just so I guess going back to Pixar. <laughs> no, yeah, He's Pixar. like, I refuse to answer that question. I see how it is. Whatever. <laughs> Wait, what did I miss? Wait. Oh yes, you always better is, cats which or is Luca. <laughs> Um, like, I mean, oh, I think well. I think Luca is a better movie. I think Cats was a better experience. Okay, if that makes sense. Fair. Like, you know I, what I'm saying? I agreed, honestly. Like from the Chicago <laughs> trip, which do I remember more? Oh, probably Cats. Cats. But like, like which movie am I gonna watch? Luca. I think I was gonna say, honestly, I could see you going like also probably Cats. <laughs> <laughs> We need to we need to get people to compare like do you want to watch Avatar two or Cats? What do you think will have a bigger impact on? Well, your I know life? Carson's gonna say Avatar two because I know Avatar two is his most hyped movie in like the last five years. Yeah, yeah, it is <laughs> probably yeah. I don't think it'll be bad, but like, it's, I don't know. It's just the joke about Avatar is that it's like this cultural black hole. 
that we, we, have, we talked about a little bit. Oh, say, we all and, love Avatar. Avatar. This is not the episode no. to bring up Avatar, Bastion, Mark. <laughs> love Avatar. I'll say, I, when Avatar came out, I hadn't seen it. In, like I was, what, 10 years old? I didn't see it in 3D in time. My parents didn't care about taking me to see it in 3D, whatever. That didn't matter to them. <laughs> so when the re-release just happened, I saw it in 3D. And I already love this movie. It was already one of my favorite movies. Just fucking woof. Yeah. It was so good. Anyways, trying yeah, to get back to Pixar. Sorry. Too off topic here. So I guess just um, growing up at the age that I was, Pixar movie was Pixar movies were um, just a part of going to the movies at that age. Like the animated movies out that were out. Like yes, there was Shrek and there was whatever dreamworks was doing there was other things but the movies that like even as a kid that you got the most excited about was was whatever was pixar was doing it was the finding nemos it was the incredibles it was ratatouille it was wally it was you got excited you got excited about the next pixar whatever it was like so even at that age like that brand had that appeal of being like the most exciting option that you could go see in a movie theater and what about now yeah, what do you think of when you hear the word Pixar now? Do you think, oh, streaming content? No, no, I don't. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I still haven't seen Turning Red or Lightyear, actually. I mean, the Lightyear was released in theaters. I haven't seen either of those movies. For different reasons, though. <laughs> Lightyear, because I didn't care. Turning Red, because uh, I, I would have gone if it was in a theater, but it wasn't. So I haven't watched it yet. I actually have a, have a Blu-ray uh, <laughs> right here. I just haven't opened it yet. Great. It looks like it's an what? orange ray, actually. Yeah, why, why it looks like it's like one of the Nickelodeon. It looks like it's one of the Nickelodeon. So I, I bought it a couple months ago. I just haven't gotten around to watching it yet. But I don't have Disney+. Plus. I don't want Disney+. Plus. I don't care for all that. Yeah, any other guest who comes on, I'm going to demand them watch Andor. But for you, I'll... I'll let it slide. <laughs> I so, think we should yeah, start making like, guests if watch turning, turning If Turning Red was in a theater, I would have gone... <laughs> think, like, I if Turning you. Red was in a the theater, I would have gone opening night. 100%. I, I warned Carson ahead of time. I was like, you know, if you don't watch Turning Red by our episode, my co-host is probably going to freak out about it. Just I don't care. Everyone, it's just it's like no me and Danny are the on only one. two people in the world who have seen Turning Red. <laughs> I... Look, I'm going to watch it. I have the Blu-ray. You just saw it. I just... <laughs> and I would have seen it. I would have seen it opening night if it had played in theaters, but it didn't. It would have made more money than the Buzz movie. Yeah. yeah, it honestly. I mean, it was just... People liked it. <laughs> who saw it? The people who liked it. Who saw it liked it. Yeah, I just like... Yeah, to me, so... And obviously, if we want to talk about how I feel about the Pixar brand, uh, let's look at what I did for Luca. Like, honestly, like. Well, you also did it for me to meet me. Let's be real here. Well, I'm I mean, special too. Sure. No, it's okay. No, no, I'm just being Sure. Right. <laughs> but, like, even before you, like, I refused to watch that movie. I was like, no, I'm not watching this. Like, I saw that trailer. I was like, this looks like, of, of all the movies that were coming out the summer, obviously, that was obviously still a COVID summer and stuff. But it was like, this movie looks way more exciting than everything else coming off this summer. I, I stick I, by my take that if it was, like, theatrical released on the same date it was, even with all the COVID going on, it would have probably been the biggest movie that summer. Yeah, like, I agree. Because people weren't like, trained yet to expect animation at home, 
And also, yeah. it was like, everything else was like, you know, it's an action movie. And here's like, no, nah, kids playing at the beach. It's like, great. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, it just looks The beach so doesn't much, get you old. Sorry. It just looked <laughs> so much cooler than everything else coming out this summer. And I was like, I don't want to watch this at home. Just like, and so, yeah, Pixar, I mean, I think I, it's easy to look at it and say there are films that I like now. Now look at it and be like, there are films in their catalog that I like less. But still, when it comes to it, the Pixar brand is not it's not like i think the brand is undeniable in terms of like they're going to guarantee something but just like i think there's like a potential within that that framework that mainstream framework that they're going to deliver something that is of more value than your typical mainstream blockbuster and so oh sorry I mean, I think they're on like a really great run right now. Honestly, I mean, barring the fact that I haven't seen their last two movies, but oh, uh, you don't need to see one of them. <laughs> like Soul and Luca, had those two movies been released in theaters, like I feel like we would be talking about Pixar like in a whole different way. Like, yeah, those two movies are really, really good. Two we of the best talk- movies they've released since before 2010. We kind of yeah. talked about this in a past episode, but you you're kind of talking about it now. What do you think about? Do you think that the cultural impact is really lost because they're not in theaters? That's kind yes, of a dumb way to 100%. phrase that question, but hundred yeah. percent because um I I don't follow this stuff as much as Danny does, but uh, someone was doing uh what was it like a Pixar character bracket or something on one of those Twitter? Oh yeah yeah, the Ringer I think was doing it. Uh, and I just feel like yeah. like the Luca characters were just like totally screwed out the gate because like you didn't see these movies in theaters you don't care whatever like there's not the same audience for this stuff as like the other stuff it's kind of what i was talking about earlier even though obviously i don't think wendell and wild this is we were talking about it earlier i don't think wendell and wild would have been a huge i think it would have been like maybe 60 million because i know that seems like a lot maybe for what it is but it's also like you can market it as like jordan peele with the director of nightmare before christmas and it probably would bring people out and also in comparison to what Caroline did really well, right? Yeah, Coraline is like the biggest stop motion film in history, I believe. Besides, maybe yeah, I'd have to look it up if it's over or on. I thought so. Yeah. Um, but the thing that's been driving me crazy is I'm seeing these people's takes on Letterbox, who I know watched it at home, and they're like they're on their phone doing it. So like, yeah, it's a little boring at points. I'm not really like, and it's like, yeah, yeah. Of course, you're not giving your full attention, and it's like I hear people who like. Oh yeah, I didn't like Luca that much. I didn't cry. I'm like, yeah, because you're probably on your phone during it. <laughs> like in moments that would make you cry. And obviously, like we'll get to Finding Nemo, but like first movie I have memories of in theaters. Like I have these memories associated with Finding Nemo that no one is ever going to have with Luca. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people are going to grow up thinking of Finding Nemo as being like one of their first movies, and no one's ever going to think that about Luca. Yeah. I like, can. In 20 years, people aren't going to be talking about Luca the same way I'm talking about Finding Nemo now, I don't think. I, yeah, it's not, I, I, will I don't say, think it's the movie's fault. I don't want to I don't want to write that off cuz I agree with you mostly, but I do think there are I don't I I I guess we'll have to see cuz I worked with kids the summer Luca came out and it was the only thing they were talking about, you know. Also, Sorry. even when Space Jam 2 came out, they're still like, "Well, what about Luca?" you know? Like it was not just supplanted by the next animated movie. Like, usually it was. Even Soul, I only didn't hear much talking about the month after. The Summer of Luca, it was, like, a big hit. Um, okay. That's and I don't think it was, like, in Kanto where people are tired of it. I think it was just summer ended and it's, like, it's a summer movie. You know? Um, yeah. 
To answer your question, it goes Chicken Run, Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were Rabbit, then Coraline. I think you're looking overseas again because I I'll guarantee say, you that I don't Coraline think made more than US. I, I think Coraline made more than Were Rabbit. Yeah, I think the other way around. I mean, I think Coraline made more than Were Rabbit. Yeah, Coraline definitely made more than Were Rabbit in the U.S. Because I looked at Were Rabbit's box office a while back when I rewatched it this summer, uh, and I know for a fact Coraline made more than it in the U.S. Yeah. Maybe not. I could see Chicken Run. Chicken Run was a big deal. Yeah, um, but I'm unsure. I'd have to Google that myself. Um, <laughs> it's happened right, in the so podcast a lot where Mark will drop this bottle and be like, "You're wrong. I know you're flat out." Well, he was like, I, I, it I, was I, like Prince of <laughs> Egypt made about 270 million, and I'm like, "That's not true. I know that did not happen." <laughs> well, I was right about all of those movies, and you checked me, but yeah, yeah, okay. So, Box Office Mojo says that. Uh, where Rabbit made a hundred ninety million, and Coraline made. Is that worldwide or domestic? Is up right now, that's, that's worldwide. Yeah, well, look I at you. Wallace and Gromit did not. I think Wallace and Gromit made. I'm about to open it myself, but I think it made about fifty million in the U.S. Maybe fifty-five. I think yeah, Coraline made right. sixty. Yes. Coraline made more than it domestically. Now, okay. the Chicken Run. That is the question we're aiming for. Is Chicken Run? Because. That that's what I'm curious about. I'm opening up Coraline on my own right now. I'm like, Chicken Run yeah. made 106 million domestically. What All right, you... so Chicken Run is the biggest thing Coraline because Coraline is 75. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> Google has but again, just started that's... giving me numbers in my autofill. It's like it made this much. Stop typing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but anyway, Coraline. All I have to say is like these streaming things, like really like make there be bias on the film. And I think, I don't know, I don't want to be like, let's move on to Finding Nemo, even though I think we can, you know? That's all. You ready yeah. to move on? Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Finding Nemo. Right. Finding Nemo! I'd... I've... Yeah. Oh, Let go. me introduce it's, it. Yes. It's my job. Yes. yes. <laughs> Finding Nemo, 2003. I know we always say this, but I'll say it every single time because at this point it's becoming a running gag. <laughs> Huge movie for Pixar! Game changer! This is the best movie we've ever watched. (laughs) I say this every time. It's like, completely changed the game! Um, But in this case, there is an argument for it. Because one, this is the first movie directed by Andrew Stanton. That's not the reason why it's a big deal. Um, This is the first Pixar movie to open in the summer. Every other Pixar movie we've covered opened in November. The other really big deal with this movie... Well, okay, there's two of really big deals. One of them is it's the first one to win an Oscar for Pixar, but the actual, really? yeah, film. That's actually it crazy. It won for a couple of shorts. Well, because, yeah. okay, so Toy Story won an honorary award, which doesn't count. Yeah. Um, And Monsters, Inc. did not win animated. I mean, the film didn't win. So Monsters, Inc. won for original song, but this is the first one to win best animated What did feature. Monsters, Inc. lose to? Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> People forget how much... We talked about some of the monsters, but people forget about how big a deal Shrek was. Yeah. Like, it got nominated for a death screenplay. Well, I, was, I, feel probably, like I, forget, I feel like I forget they were the same year. Shrek was probably number six at the Oscars, that, like, in the Oscar lineup. Like, that's how close yeah. Shrek was to getting a Best Picture nom. It was really close. Really? Damn. Yeah. Okay. Shrek was a big deal. Um, I mean, I like Shrek, but... But the actual big deal with Finding Nemo is... At the time, this was the biggest animated film yet. Like, it yeah. made so much money. Yeah. Because it came out in May, 
And it played through the whole summer really well. And it was big in May, but it really, like, I, I would have to open up the box office charts, but I remember it was still playing in September and doing really well in September. The Top Gun Maverick stuff right there. Honestly, yes. Finding Nemo, I, I was, I think this was, yeah, it was the second biggest of 2003. Without looking, who can tell me what the most, the biggest film was? It's pretty easy. Return of the King? Yeah. It's Return of the King. Yeah. Although that might be worldwide because I opened up the Wikipedia page. But I feel like it was, uh, I feel like it was also in the US bigger than Finding Nemo. Well, Return of the King is like around like 370 domestic. I don't. I think Finding Nemo is now that high with re releases, but not, you know, at the time. But yeah. The other fact about. Oh, sorry. Go on. About Finding Nemo, just another thing. It made so much money. It is the best selling DVD of of all time. Yeah. I feel like that's where, that's the big thing right there. Yeah. So, uh, Finding Nemo's around 340 on original release, and I think Return of the King's around 370. 375, yeah. I yeah. just looked it up. So, um, yeah. This so was the highest grossing G rated film until Toy Story 3 came out. And yeah, it was a huge deal. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. It was a very big deal of a movie. Um, which is interesting for a lot of reasons, but. We can talk about, I think I'm done introing it. I think, I, I don't need to say what Finding Nemo's about. I, I don't need to say who's in it. It's Albert Brooks, Ellen DeGeneres, and of course, Willem Dafoe, which I think is its own conversation that we should get into at some point about how we crazy need, We do is. need to talk about Willem Dafoe. Because I, I think his credit right before this, at least mainstream, is Spider-Man. So it's really crazy that in 2002 and 2003, he like was in the biggest movies of the summer right. both years. And a very big part of both movies. And very different roles. But yeah, we'll talk about the foe at some point. Um, but yeah, that's uh, Finding Nemo. If you watch this on Disney+, Plus, which I know Carson didn't because he doesn't have Disney+, Plus, but I presume Mark did. It is the new render of the film, which is not that different other than it has the Disney the recent Disney logo on it. Because as we've covered on this podcast before, well, as we've covered on this podcast before, they had to re-render the films to put them out in 3D. Yeah. For the 3D re-releases. And this is the last one that got a 3D re-release. So this will be the last time we have to deal with that. But yeah, um, all right. Uh, I think I gave historical background for the movie itself because I think me saying it is the biggest film, animated film up to this point, is all the background you really need. To be honest, this probably was with the combination of Shrek Two the following year, like the final nails in the coffin for traditional animation. They're yeah. making so much exponentially bigger, so much more money than traditional animation ever did. Who wants to go first on how we uh, first encountered it? Because, man, I have so many stories with this movie. I think mine is maybe short. I don't remember really how I first saw it. I don't know if we'll ever get to the Pixar movie that I remember as being the first one that I saw in theaters. I was thinking about that. I have no idea what that was. But I feel like we're getting close. Maybe it was Cars, but I maybe saw this on DVD. Which would explain why you don't remember it. Go on. <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, man. It's it's the truth all along. Um, what I do remember is that around this time, my family, uh, I mean, we're all, we're all still friends, but I would always go over and hang out with this other family's house, and they had one of those community pools, and so much of my young life is tied to going over and mooching off these this family's like neighborhood pool 
membership or whatever you used to have one of these suburban things that you had. And I remember all the Finding Nemo toys that they had around. And watching this movie last night again really gave me all these sense memories. It's like watching this movie is like smelling sunscreen for me. And then you can imagine... It's the Ratatouille bite. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... I mean, that, so that's basically it, is I remember I must have seen this movie so many times. I'm sure anyway, I owned it on DVD, maybe in my parents' house or my grandparents' house. That's really what I remember. This is this is such a summer movie for me. Danny, you talk about summer movies so often, and I can't really think of any that are a summer movie more than this was to me. That's more my experience with Finding Nemo is what it did to my imagination as a young kid more than my experience watching the film. Oh, that was sweet. Mark doesn't usually drop sweet things like that. I haven't so like, oh. I, I wasn't like a functional person until around now. So now we're going to get some nuggets. Just got to say before Carson asks you yours, I did just open up the box office for Finding Nemo and uh it does not drop. Okay, so it drops thirty nine percent in week three and in week eight. It doesn't have like an above forty drop until week twelve, which is all like crazy. Like, yeah. To put it into perspective, Mark, I think, I think it maybe took till like week four for Top Gun Maverick to have sub forty drops. I don't have Top Gun Maverick. It was just a crazy run, you know. I say I wish I was there for that. That would have been so cool. That was such a cool run. We've had some exciting picks. Maverick or Nemo? Yeah, obviously. we were all there for Maverick. We were but, I, mean... <laughs> I don't know if you were like out of town or I don't know where you were. <laughs> <laughs> you just first top come Maverick somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Carson, um. Well, do you want? I have a lot to say. Normally, I let the guests go last, but I know I have I have a lot to get through on this one. So, do you want to go, or do you want me to go before you? Yeah, I can go. Like I said, this is the first movie that I actually have a memory of seeing in the movie theater, uh, and specifically like like the final like act of this movie. Like I just was like have a vivid memory of seeing in the theater, and just like how exciting it was and how moving it all was, and just like encompassing it wasn't to me like as my first experience like that i remember with cinema like just encompassing what all like that could really be but um and then beyond that like i own the movie on dvd i just upgraded to blu-ray for this watch right now nice. for this podcast um but um all of my i remember everyone i knew owned this dvd growing up like i feel like i owned this dvd growing up <laughs> like this was my generation's I feel like, like, to a certain extent, like, you know, people, like, a little bit older than me, like, maybe they, they're more into the Toy Story thing. Like, Toy Story was like, yeah, you, you. (laughs) But I feel like this, like, this was my generation's Pixar movie, was Finding Nemo. Like, in school, like, everyone I knew, like, Finding Nemo was the thing, all the quotes, everything, just, like, we watched it in class all the time. Like, if we either watch a movie in Spanish in Spanish class, we watched Finding Nemo in Spanish and whatever. Like, like Finding Nemo was like, I feel like it was the Pixar movie of my generation. And to me, that makes sense. Like, that's just the one I gravitate to. And like, I understand. Like, and I see other people that are like, oh, Toy Story, and then some other people now who are a little bit younger that like, go to like other stuff like Ratatouille or Wally or whatever. But I'm like, okay, I see that now. But like, all the kids I knew, they went to Finding Nemo. 
and like me myself, I went to Finding Nemo. Like that was the movie. It'll be so just, like, interesting to see where that is in twenty years with the kids. Yeah, because honestly, like I feel like adults, like people our age, are like it's Coco in like and you, I know you don't agree with me on these, but it's like it's Coco Inside Out. You know, it'll be interesting to see. I don't think kids will agree with that. Like you know, I don't. I I like Coco. I don't think kids do. Yeah. So. I feel like this movie not only has like was everywhere in my life, but it was like everywhere in just like the people I knew. Like it was like everyone knew this movie, everyone owned this movie, everybody watched this movie, everybody knew all the quotes from this movie. I thought like, you were gonna about to say like it was everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> that, that's a <laughs> right one. Right, definitely a reference I'm gonna make. Yeah, um. yeah. He doesn't like everything everywhere, Mark. I, I mean, I think it's. Okay. I know pe- it's there are people that I respect who don't. I I love it though. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Um. Should I go into mine then? Yeah. All right. So, settle in. Uh, let's jump back to our previous mainline episode, Monsters Inc., where I revealed that I had the DVD of Monsters Inc., and it was the first DVD I ever had, which means the DVD always opened with the teaser trailer for Finding Nemo. And I remember constantly saying I thought it looked stupid because I thought fish were boring and fish are lame. And then May thirtieth comes around. And before I talk about my reaction to them, because I know I, I, I presume I saw it June 1st, because I, unless me, I guess I'd have to look this up. I saw it whatever that Saturday was. Okay. So, because I feel like May 30 might have been a Wednesday, because like, movies did that back then. It was weird. Uh, you know what? Actually, I can quickly look at this because I have the, um, okay, no, it was a Friday. <laughs> I have the box office open. That's why. Like, if the box office says the beginning of the weekend's May 30, it is. So, anyway, so I saw this probably on, uh, May 31st. 2003 and i remember there was a line at our movie theater to get in and at that point i was excited for it because you know the actual commercials came out and now it looked good and i remember being so blown away by it that my father that christmas when he asked me danny what was the highlight of year that i can put in here i'll be like finding nemo ended up being really good like that was my highlight to me was that finding nemo was that good um now for my connections to the film that I intimately connected with is this is the first film I've saw multiple times in theaters. I saw it on opening weekend with my family. I saw it. We've already said this on this podcast before. I saw it at the drive-in that September because it was the Wizard of Oz. And my dad turned off the audio during the short before because he thought it was stupid to waste our car audio on it, our car battery on it. But then also in between that, I saw it with my aunts, I think probably in July around my birthday, uh, my aunts in Ohio. So I saw the movie three times, uh, and I loved it every time. Uh, but a more important connection to me, and I actually think it's the only time I'll talk about her on this podcast, is that we got my dog two days before this movie came out. Um, so I always remember my dog's the day we got her was May 28th, because I always have that encyclopedic memory of when Finding Nemo came out. Um, and the reason why she's... Well, obviously, you know, when you're a kid and you get a dog, that's a big deal. <laughs> like, that is a huge deal in and of itself. But I remember we were deciding what to name her because when we got her, um, the dog's name was Birdie, which we all were like, no, absolutely not. We're not keeping that name. Um, and I was heavily pushing for Dory. I was so pushing. I'm glad we didn't name her Dory. We ended up naming her Lucy. Um, very glad we did not name my dog Dory. But very connected to this film is that memory of the summer where I first got my dog um, and how exciting that was to have a dog. And, you know, there's a lot of memories over the years of Finding Nemo 2. Uh, like, likewise with you, 
Uh, this is a movie that I remember watching in science class a lot, weirdly. That's the movie that always, like, that's the class that comes up for Finding Nemo to me. Is that, oh, science class, definitely. Teacher just throws it on. Why? It's got fish in it. Why not? Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, Mark might remember this. A couple weeks back, I said, I can't remember what movie we were talking about, but I remember once I went to this church outing and they put on Finding Nemo and my best friend just recited the entire movie along with it with his back turned to the movie. So it's like, this is a movie that like very much everyone, as we said, loved Finding Nemo. Um, and it's interesting to, I think it's definitely the Pixar movie. And it's so tempting to like give it the superlative and we haven't revisited a lot of them down this road. But it's one that I feel like I have an intensely different relationship to as an adult than I do as a child. Because um, as a child, you know, you're all into Dory. Like, Dory's hilarious. And Dory is still yeah. really funny. Yeah. But as an adult, you're just like, oh, my God, what Marlon goes through in this movie. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's, it's like, and uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there will be other memories that pop up of finding him in there. But the real thing I want to talk about was my dog and the Christmas card thing, because those are both very intimately tied to this film for me. Um, oh, actually, one other thing I remember is that this movie was very popular for adults at the time, because I remember this came out when I was in second grade, um, and, oh wait, I guess I have to look up, maybe it was when I was in first grade, because I remember I talked to my speech therapist as a child about this movie, and I can't remember if it would have been, like, at the end of the year, because I saw this, you know, May 30th, so there was a couple weeks of school left, and maybe I'd be like, I just saw Finding Nemo, it was so good! Um, or it could have been something where it was the next year. And I was like, oh, Finding Nemo came out this summer. It was so good. You know, because I was always really obsessed with movies. Uh, and I remember my speech uh, therapist telling me that she really liked it too, but because of the animation. She thought it was beautiful. It looked just like the ocean to her, which looking back and I'm like, mm, I guess I guess I can see like in 2003, like this is a like, I think yeah. the color in this movie is such so vibrant compared to even the other stuff we've been watching. Um where I totally get why why it's like, oh yeah, this is a gorgeous movie. And it is a gorgeous movie still. It just looks a little dated at points, which is fine. I think, it's 2003. It's, I, you know, like, it's fine. It's 2003. I think on the rewatch, like, it's so funny. Like, you have all the, like, the intro, all the underwater stuff, whatever. Yeah. Like, the first time, like, you see, like, above land stuff, it looks, like, hideous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, their approach to uh, rendering characters whenever they come out of the water is really strange. <laughs> but it's okay because the water stuff looks really good. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, well, well, like, okay, like growing pains, we get it. And then the thing is, though, to me is like, I think it is just a style thing because I remember even in Finding Dory, it kind of looks kind of weird to me when like Marlon jumps out of the water. It's just like, eh, whatever. Um,. But yeah, what was the right. anecdote you wanted to tell about you and me? Oh well, well when we were in, uh, when we were in directing class in college, we had oh, to recreate right. scenes from movies, and I ended up picking. I, I do think it was me who picked it because we were all kept pushing ideas. I was like, "Why don't we do the scene from Finding Nemo?" It feels like definitely a me thing to suggest. Like, let's just do the scene from Finding Nemo. Um, I think I, I think it must have been that because I think I was doing my Pixar rewatch at the time for, um, Incredibles two. And I think I must have just rewatched Finding Nemo, and I was like, let's just do this scene. It's great. And it's the scene where Nemo, not Nemo, Marlin 
is like on the floor in the whale, and Dory's like, "Well, you can't let anything happen because nothing will ever happen to him." And it's like that scene looks great. Like even if you just put these gives these to humans talking about their son, you know, like it's that's kid. Carry on with your story, but I want to revisit this point. But, like... No, well, that is basically the whole story. We filmed it. It was not great, but you know what? I was... I, I feel like the point was proven that, like, the seat... Like, it wasn't great because oh, of the drama. We had to deal with on set. We had to deal with some drama re- over actors. <laughs> you've <laughs> unlocked something, because I remember we reimagined it as happening in a basement during a tornado. Yes, that was it. That was it. Yes. Now I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, and wasn't it it was like the the idea was like Nemo was out? Wasn't the idea like Nemo was out in the uh, tornado or something? I don't know. I don't know if we got that far. I just remember it was very green and we shot it in a basement. And we asked the the actors to come color code to the characters and it came in a plain blue and a plain orange shirt. And I was kind of like, well, (laughs) I don't know if I meant that, but okay. I don't know. We we didn't learn anything in that class. I don't think I don't think those people <laughs> could have like true. told us what to do either. Do you remember that? Hey, uh, oh man, I, I'm like unlocking something in myself. Do you remember that time he showed I'm us one of his films names. and everyone hated it? Oh, my my thing I always go to at that class that I always remember is when we turned in our musical at the end of it, which was bad, and we turned it in, and our professor goes. This reminds me of that really great recent mu- musical. What was it called? And everyone was like, La La Land? He's like, no, it wasn't that. And he goes, oh, Moulin Rouge. And it's like, Moulin Rouge came out 15 <laughs> years ago, buddy. <laughs> like, it's not, not what's coming to anyone's mind when you say recent movie <laughs> anymore. Yeah. There was, I, I'm, what a, what a giant waste of money. <laughs> <laughs> Very I just, true. I have, I have really, I've, you know, with theater, because I switched, we all switched. A lot of us and a lot of our guests switched from the film to theater, and you didn't switch. You got both <laughs> we, degrees. We really, uh, we really do advocate for the film department at our alma mater on this podcast. I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I, my relationship to the theater department is pretty complicated because I don't use Uta Hagen stuff anymore, which is a lot of what we were taught. Um, but I mean, I'm. I also have a really good relationship with some of the people that I met in the department still, and the film department was just the worst thing ever, and I don't know if that's changed because J.B. Pritzker has put so much money into everything now, and uh, there is there is actually someone in the film program that I think I still think pretty well of, um, but... I just have, like, just so not many one negative... you, made, you um re- hit the live action remake of Finding Emo for right. That's not that. No, much. <laughs> no, <laughs> and I can and I can do X Y Z about why that class was a giant scam and waste of money. I mean, and I can I, do can, an X Y Z about like the I'll good just say things right I learned now, from another uh, You shouldn't teach a directing class and then make everyone always co-direct films. Like that's stupid. Uh, like, <laughs> I don't think you should make a directing class and not know how to give notes about things like here's how you, you know, do costuming or, or any of that. Like I just that. But anyway, trash fire. Finding Nemo. Um, finding, yes, finding, finding Nemo. Nemo. That's right. Okay, so let, I want to talk let's about find unle- unless unless we're where is he? So so we're talk talk about like how it works as a movie. I think that's such a something I really noticed 
this time watching it now older is that all of the Marlin and Dory scenes seem like they're human stories, but with fish and all of the Nemo scenes seem like fish stories because Nemo is so much about like being a fish in a tank and you, you know, we can talk about this, but I think like Marlin is really just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, but it's with fish, but finding, but Nemo's stories really seem fish like, and uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know what to make of that, but it, it did just jump out to me that it seems like the two parts of the movie exist in very different worlds. Well, one of them takes place in the ocean, and the other takes place in a fish tank. Well, Sorry, yeah. I just wanted to be that guy. Yeah, but even, even like, I think, I think it's funny I'm no that... ending. I'm no ending. <laughs> Sorry. Well, it's, it's like, I think that you definitely could transplant the Nemo scenes into human stuff you mean the marlin scenes? marlin scenes marlin and dory yeah no 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 but i mean i mean you could do it with the nemo scenes but i don't think it happens as naturally as the marlin dory scenes gotcha yeah so that was just me I, watching it i think I, the whole movie i think it's always interesting to go back to these movies that I have intense memories of because you know, when we talked about bugs, I was like, this gets me mad how they're just transplanting this human society into these bugs. But here it's like, well, I guess it's an Alcoholics Anonymous meaning, but I don't really care because, like, this is how it's all. This movie has always been like this, yeah. so I don't care. Like, it, this movie is like this before I knew what an Alcoholics Anonymous meaning was, yeah. so I don't care. <laughs> uh, it it's is much like, funnier now, now that you know what that is, though. Yeah, like, but then it's also like, oh, I guess this isn't as clever as I thought it was. But yeah. I think it's more clever. I mean, I don't know. I just, I, this is, it's been so long since I've watched it. Now, I don't think I've watched it since I knew what an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting was. This is the first time I've watched it where I, I, I remember watching it and thinking that some lines didn't might make sense. Like Dory saying, I'm a natural blue. It's been that long since I've watched Finding Nemo. Now I get every joke in Finding Nemo and I think I appreciate everything much more. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy. Wanted, yeah. I just wanted to give you some silence. I thought like, it would be fun after that. Tennis. I'm full of energy tonight. I don't know why. Tennis. <laughs> um, I don't know, because to me, the thing with Finding Nemo is, and I'll be honest, and this is actually where I was kind of like building to earlier with the Wendell and Wild stuff and the Luca stuff about you know watching this movie is uh, I watched this right before this. As Mark and Carson are very aware of, because I kept delaying our start time because yes. <laughs> I just could not finish the movie. Um, you know, I had my phone out a little bit doing it, and I found that okay, and it, it doesn't have to do with like the familiarity aspect too, because this has happened before. Is I did put my phone away, don't worry, especially in the second half, because se- I was also like waiting for an alarm to go off so I could move laundry quickly. Um, and then once I moved the laundry, I was like, all right, I, I can put my phone away now. Um, and then, so the back half, I really paid attention to it. But then the first half, I just found myself, like, during the Marlin and Dory stuff. And it's not because it's bad. It's just because I'm so familiar with it. It's like, eh, my phone. <laughs> uh, and I feel bad about it. Um, Mark's giving me the stink eye for the listeners at home. Um, I'm not giving you the stink eye. You got, you got to live your life, man. I am, I am the last person who's going to tell someone that they have to watch a movie all the way through. But I do think Finding Nemo is a 
I think it's been a while. I think this is the spot, the the watch that finally pushes it to that five to me. Um, it's always been at four point five, and it's not really even that the movie has gotten that much better. It's just that I'm like, just oh. that you got better. No, <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, but it's something where I'm like, all my issue. It, it's something that's happened on this these watches quite a bit. Where with Toy Story, I've always had it at a four, and I finally moved up to four point five. I'm finally at the point where I'm like, these movies aren't bad. I'm just familiar with them. Like it's not even that they're bad. It's like they're not not perfect because I'm super familiar with the movie. They are perfect, but I'm just. I, I can't be mad at this movie for not getting my attention when I watched it like a hundred times as a child. Like it's just a fact. And the fact is, is that like every time I watch it, I find moments where I don't cry, but like it just hits me. There was a moment when I was watching it this time where the closest I got to crying, I want it's a scene that I never even felt emotion at before watching this. And it was when Nigel is telling Nemo about Marlin coming to him and the music just swells. And you just see Nemo's face, like, grow in awe that his father, like, actually, like, I'm about to get, like, very, very serious. Um, I feel like when you're a child, I'm not talking about my dad, <laughs> and I love my dad. I feel like when you're a child, and they, and I guess I can't speak for you, too, because I don't know about your relationships with your fathers. Um, but for me, there's a lot of expectation put on you from media and also just from your other friends' dads, that your dad is always going to be there for you. And I think my dad tried to be that. I don't know if he always was there. Um, and that's not me. I'm, I I think he always tried to be. I don't want to be, I don't want to like bash my dad on this podcast. Because I, whenever I see a lot of my other friends' dads, I'm always like, wow, I'm really lucky I have mine. You know, like, I think I was pretty blessed with both the parents I had growing up. Especially also, like, you know, I had both of them, too. It's like, you know, my parents are very sturdy. They love each other. They love me very much. But then it's... I'm trying to think of a good example with this. Because I, I, there's an anecdote I want to share, but it's like... It's something where you watch this movie now, and when you're a kid, you only really focus on Dory, and you focus on Nemo because he's the kid. When you watch it now, you're like, oh, I might be a dad sooner than later, and I don't want to make the same mistakes my dad might have made. Um, but you know you're going to make them. And the thing in particular is like I want to bring up is like, you know, I have countless good memories of my dad, but it's really hard to remember specific stuff from when I was a child. But yet, you know, you only ever remember the really remember the bad stuff. Like I remember once my dad just like I don't even remember what I was doing. I was probably just being like an annoying six year old, but my dad like lost his temper and just yelled, Shut up at me. And it's like he immediately like apologized later. But it was like, even if you apologize, it still hurts. And the thing is, is like, I don't know about you. My dad and I, we've had moments where we've gotten at each other. It hasn't happened a lot recently, thankfully. But I think the last time it happened, it was sooner than you think. It might have been like five or five years ago, maybe even four years ago, where like we blew up at each other. And then my dad came in to apologize to me. But like he started crying when he was apologizing to me. And I kind of, because the thing is, is, like at this point, if I blow up my dad, it is a bit of me being a piece of shit too. Like it is me being like, all right, I'm not meeting you on your level either. And you're not meeting me on mine. All this to say with finding Nemo is like, I look at this movie now and Marlon is a lot like my dad where he went to work a lot. He, he worked through the day. My mom picked me up from school. 
and whenever I was like worried or like scared, I would call for my mom. Um, and Marlon, I don't know. I see a lot of my dad in there where it's like, yeah, I would scream at my dad. I'd hate him. And then I just walk away and stuff like that. I would do that even up until like in the middle of college do that. And it's something where when Nemo finally hears that, like his dad's stepping up and like there for him, it, I don't know. It just gets to me. Cause it's like, there are moments in my life where my dad has stepped up and really been there for me where I wasn't expecting him to. And I think this movie really captures that in a way that is really hard to capture Especially because it's this big escalated scale where it's just really like, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm kind of rambling right now, but it's like, it really gets to me every time I watch it more and more. Because at the end, the thing that always gets me now is like, you know, when you're a kid, what gets you, if you, well, not even when you're a kid, when you're like in high school, what gets you is maybe like the flashback to Nemo, Marlon holding the Nemo egg. And it's like, oh yeah, like, but now it's like him just, it's just when Nemo goes, I don't hate you, dad. And it's just like, I get like so much, I get so emotional at that. And then I also get emotional, like, even, even now it's like, you were talking about how this like relates to normal day life. Like these fish are humans, right? I see Nemo running back. Oh, I forgot something and hugging their dad. And I see that at work. And it like, it gets me really emotional now to see like, you know, maybe hopefully someday I'm in Marlon's position and I don't, I hope I'm not an idiot. But like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a really great movie about dads, <laughs> like in the, the yeah. struggle to be a good dad and how it's hard to step up because you don't, you don't want to lose your kid, but like you also have to raise them. And it's such a difficult balance at the beginning to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like in that little, that opening sequence after Coral dies, because I think and I, I had Mark look it up for me beforehand. It was a, the TED Talk with Andrew Stanton is what really, because we watched that in college in a screenwriting class. That really is like, like changed my entire perspective on this movie to me. Because that TED Talk made me cry when we watched it in whatever class we watched it in. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, Carson. Have you? I have not, no. Um, the Andrew like, Stanton, here's what makes a good story TED Talk. Yeah, and it's um, it opens with John Carter, which is really funny. That <laughs> it opens with John Carter, uh, and he's like, "This is what made this movie yeah, this, work." And this it's is like, "Why this movie's really great?" This scene <laughs> right here. And everyone, you know, everyone always just kind of tunes out in the first five minutes of that TED talk. It's like, "Yeah, all right." But then he, I don't remember what scene he uses for Wally. Do you remember what scene he uses for Wally? Because you just watched it. I do. I just watched it on your request. He uses the scene as a demonstration. I don't even remember of what of when. Wally first realizes he's in love with Eve, I guess, when she's mm. looking at a lighter and he tries to hold her hand. And a okay. uh, song is playing. Oh, the Hello Dolly song? Yeah, okay. I think so. If that's if that's the one that's the whole okay. movie is played, yeah. Yeah. Well then but then the thing I remember Finding Nemo is and Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Finding Nemo Well, I don't know if this is in the test talk or not, but I know notoriously with Finding Nemo, there was an issue with this movie that just could not work in test audiences because it just opened like with Nemo going to school. Mm. And everyone was like, Marlon mm. is a total asshole. He's a terrible father. And then later on, he told Dory about Coral. And, like, and there was a flashback of Coral and immediately understood everything with it. It's like, but it came too late in the story because at this point, the entire movie, you thought Marlon was a jerk. And even though you're like, yeah, that justifies it, but like, he's still been mean to Dory this whole movie. You can never sympathize with him. 
And then you put it at the beginning of the movie and it immediately contextualizes everything with Nemo. And I remember, doesn't Stanton tell a story about like how, wasn't his first kid born premature or was... Well, he how was, was born how, premature. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, and I don't, I, I, I guess I should say look it up yourself because I can't really give it justice but i remember, <laughs> I remember the way I remember you said you wanted to talk about it but you didn't have time so you wanted me to watch it but <laughs> well, I'm, I you're like to... <laughs> half remembering what happened i think it's actually funny that i didn't know that i mean it makes sense looking at it but i think it's funny because obviously that opening works um, it, it i, I can't imagine the movie without that opening like it right. is such i think yeah. it's funny because i um on this rewatch and obviously i've seen this movie a ton of times but even like even on this rewatch, I watched the opening and I was like, I thought the, like the actual like attack like scary sequence like was longer than it was. Like it's like thirty seconds maybe. That's why it's great. Your life can change in an instant. Right. It's just like <laughs> yeah. it's brutal. Like as a kid, I remember it being like this like scary thing that happened. But it's like thirty seconds to the movie and then it's over. But it's just like it works so well. Um, the entire opening sequence, like, it's marvelous. Like, it's fucking. You need it for the movie to work. Yeah, like, it, I keep saying that, but like, you need it. Necessary, yeah. And it's you like, need it where it is. <laughs> you need it. Yeah, hundred percent. I think. Yeah. Did you have a surprise cry, Carson? A surprise cry? I don't know that it was any of my cries were a surprise. I had several cries. <laughs> I think I think um, to get it out of the way, Finding Nemo is my favorite Pixar movie. Um, it's probably one of my top twenty favorite movies of all time on any given day. Just one of That's my fair. favorite the thing movies. again. Like yeah, sure. <laughs> Just so I mean, if we want to go over Park Park Cry, I think there's probably three specific three probably three specific parts that I cried at. Um. I think um, one uh, one is the opening at the end of the opening where he looks down and sees the Nemo egg. Um, always cry there. Um, for obvious reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, obvious cry. Um, two, the one that I, the second part that I always cry at, um, and I, I'm kind, you kind of, you already brought it up because it's in the whale. When Marlon says to Dory, uh, when he switches, when he mixes up the names, um, and he's like, you think you can do this Nemo, but you can't. He's talking to Dory. Um, I, I cry right there. And it's, I think it's like his reaction to it is less like the shock that he has at his own statement, I guess. Like, yeah. just like this realization. Um, I've always cried there. And then the third one is Dory. Um, when I somehow see you, I don't I'm have home. it memorized. But is it like, when I see you, I'm home. Yeah, part? when I see you, I'm home. Yeah. 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 Cry right there, yeah, hundred percent. So I'd say those are the three parts where I always cry. There's given to be a couple others where I might cry, but those are the three where I feel like I cry every time I watch it. My, Mark, did I, you cry? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, well, along with the obvious cries, we can make a little Venn diagram of crying here. I wanted to ask <laughs> about surprise crying because my surprise cry is when Gil jumps out of the fish tank to mm. shoot Nemo out the window. Because I don't think before this watch, I was really putting the pieces together that Gil has spent so much time trying to escape. And that's kind of the most important thing about his character. And the last time we see him is him giving that up to save Nemo. So that was my surprise cry. 
is this is the original moment. Willem the friend movie yeah yes <laughs> yes move think, over um, Sean Baker <laughs> I think something that I kind of like so when I think about this movie mostly the parts that I think about even though like it's one of my favorite movies of all time generally you think about the Marlon Dory parts more than you think about the Nemo and the tank parts mm-hmm. Just like there, I feel like there's more memorable moments there. Just like there's more stuff, and that's not to knock, but just like okay, so how does it balance that? Even though like when you're thinking about it, the parts you're gonna remember are more, uh, are the Nemo and or not Nemo, Marlin and Dory. It's just like, and I feel like it does it really well. Like I feel like the transitions between the two, like on this rewatch, like it seems like so seamless. Just like the where the cuts are in between the yeah. two progressive arcs it's like oh my god this pulls this off really well yeah it's amazing how it's an adventure movie and you could have you could have maybe one or two set pieces in the wrong order or that fall a little bit but they don't really it's crazy how well it's paced to me and i'm also like watching it um i was thinking about i was just thinking about this um just um it's amazing how fast this movie gets going. Yeah, yeah, that was I was like, yeah. oh my gosh, he just leaves. Yeah, it's just like by um one. So again, 30, all you really need is the opening scene, and then it's like, all right, right. I care about both these characters immediately. So <laughs> let's get going. <laughs> like, but um, by one third of the way through the movie, you've already had the um the shark sequence, um the shark alcohol anomaly sequence. Mm-hmm. And also the little light fish thing sequence. Both of those have already happened by one-thirds of the way through the movie. I think also one thing I caught this time with the light fish, which I think is interesting, because I feel like it has to be at the beginning, because that's what makes Marlin a legend. Like, the other things, like, is not really talked about as, like, it's like, oh, yeah, he met up, he went for some jellyfish, and, you know. Yeah. But then the other one is like, no, yeah, he, like, stopped this, he stopped sharks and this giant, like, light bulb fish in the deep that no yeah. one knows about um but yeah it does move really quick um i do want to say since mark brought up the tank gang um and we were going to talk a little bit about casting here which and we can talk about other casting but can we talk about the insanity that steven root plays bubbles <laughs> like what yeah, man. <laughs> like what <laughs> how <laughs> you gotta get the the best of the best. It's like Bill Hader right. making BB-8 noises. I do think also, to talk briefly about the cast, is that this is the rare... Because we say this, I say this with other Pixar movies where it's like, oh, now I can hear John Goodman and Billy Crystal in here. Or like, now I can hear Tom Hanks here. But as a child, since I saw the child, I can hear it still hear Woody. I think the difference with Nemo is whenever Albert Brooks pops up on something, I'm like, oh, that's Marlon. You know, yeah. like, to me, yeah. it's like, oh, okay, it's Marlon. Or like, same with even Ellen. When Ellen, even does she has the talk show, I'm like, oh, that's story. Like, right there, like... Mm-hmm. I think of this character before I think of any other role they've done, even now that I've grown up and become more familiar with their roles. Um, yeah, although Defoe it's... does kind of fall in that area more, where it's like, oh, like oh, that's I can't hear the Yeah, it's on the phone, but like, yeah, but it's different because Albert Albert Brooks and Ellen DeGeneres are like iconic here. Yeah. Not to say one the foe isn't, but right, he isn't just... compared to those two. <laughs> as much two... as we've, yeah. Because I was thinking about it. I was thinking about like, okay, what is the performance from Finding Nemo? And I was like, okay, on some level, I think it's Albert Brooks. But I'm also, it's like, I'm like, it's Albert Brooks when he's playing off Ellen DeGeneres. Like, it's just like, you know what I'm saying? It's well, not just Albert Brooks. I do remember at the time there was talk about Ellen 
because I don't know if you remember, I sent this actually to our chat recently, is that Eddie Murphy inexplicably got a BAFTA nomination in supporting actor for Shrek. Yeah, yeah I saw a, that. <laughs> there was a lot of talk about Ellen DeGeneres like getting a campaign and stuff, or like even I remember there did she get a Golden Globe for it? I think she might have got like an honorary Golden Globe for it. Um, and if not, she was definitely in discussion to get one because um, what's her um, Robin Williams got an honorary one for uh, Aladdin. Yeah. Uh, no, she didn't get an honorary one because she'd already won a couple of clubs anyway. So I yeah. guess they didn't give her one. It's just like uh, this is my thing. It was like I was like I'm like I was thinking about just like I feel like Albert Brooks is the performance, but I'm like also like it's only when he's playing off Helen DeGeneres. Like it's just like I feel like you need those two together. I don't because the thing is to me is like I guess, but then I think think about his stuff in the opening scene. I think about his stuff with Nemo at the end, and it, it's yeah. just like. I think it is Albert Brooks, even though as a child I would definitely say, "Oh, it's Alan." No, I do think it's Albert. I do think it's Albert Brooks, but I also think like when you make that transition to thinking that it's Albert Brooks, like we're saying you do, like you yeah. start to underrate the Ellen performance because the Ellen performance is so good. Oh, but yeah, I yeah I agree. I think the Ellen I think Ellen is great. I also think um, and we'll talk about this when we get to it. I think in Finding Dory, Ellen is fantastic in it. Uh, but I think here I gotta go. For, we gotta go out. Mark, what do you think for Al versus Al? Um. Well, I think, man, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's so hard. I think they're You're both go with great. Jeffrey Rush. Answer, Honestly, <laughs> might as well because I didn't know. I I think that's my thing. Every time I watch this movie, I forget that he's Nigel, and I'm always <laughs> like, whoa. Because I mean, that's it's just such a great. He did it the same young. Year, we talked about the foe earlier, but he did it the same summer as Pirates One. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh man, early two thousands, <laughs> a simpler time. Take us back. You could just go to the beach, and yeah, um, go watch a pirate movie and a fish movie. <laughs> yeah, I think I think they're both great. I think, yeah, I I can't really compare the two because one is. They're they're kind of sides of the dramatic and comedic coin. You, yeah. I mean, I don't I, think I like, it's I fair like to, together. I don't uh, think it's fair to pick a performance between the two. But I feel like, like thinking about it, like I just feel like I think it's Albert Brooks. But just like man, watching it, it's like man, some of those, some of those Ellen moments are so good. It's just like it's how they play off each other that makes it work so well. That it's just like, oh, how do you pick one? Yeah. Yeah. I think something that I'm I'm noticing I can't really put it into words watching their performances but I feel like their approach is different and I I don't really know how to how to put this into words. I feel words, like it definitely feels but... like there are moments where Ellen was probably like put in a booth and said, "Oh, say something funny." You know what I mean? Maybe no, I don't. Because oh. Discord just bleeped out everything you just <laughs> oh. said. That was repeated, and you can edit around it. <laughs> I think it's definitely something where I could see Ellen having moments where they put her in a booth and it's like, just say something funny, you know? Like, yeah. oh yeah, give me come up with a funny like Elmo. Yeah, sure, we'll put that in, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. This is a movie that makes me really want to watch the recording sessions because I don't want to. I really am enjoying Weddle and Wild. I'm slowly watching it over meals. I I don't love the voice acting. I don't really think they fill out the characters that much. And I don't yeah, know. Some people Selleck might thing. say I'm totally wrong. It, it might be a Henry Selleck thing or, or whatever. I feel like the and same thing with Coraline, like, personally. But sorry, go on. 
Yeah. Well, I'm getting I mean, like, a note of people. Uh, sorry, it's very specific. I was on a Reddit thing where it was a bunch of Henry Selleck. Like, it was on the blank check Reddit. So they're all Henry. I know you hate me talking about it. Get but out your all, bingo they're, cards, everyone. They're, 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 they're doing a Henry Selleck series soon. So it's all these people who you know have been watching every Henry Selleck movie. And they're like, yeah, I just don't like how the voice actors aren't really like emoting. I'm like, yeah, well, they don't really emote in Coraline or like in Ninth Museum when they're not singing or in James and the Giant Peach. Like there is no emoting in his films at all. So like. <laughs> yeah. And I can't. I really <laughs> like. I really like all of these movies. It's just, if I think about this as a performer, what do I want to take in? I want to know how to fill out a character like Ellen does with Dory. Yeah. Because how, like he to how do you even imagine that Sorry. when a fish is going up and down? Because that, that, how, like that, that's, that's what amazes me about not just, not just Dory or Marlin, but really any of the fish in this movie is, is how how do you do that in the vocal booth? How do you put yourself in that space where you can imagine what this creature is going to be doing? So when the animators work on you, there's there's uh, like that work together. And I don't I don't think you have to play animation bigger, but I think this is a great example of it working and when it works it works great and yeah i'm just thinking about this because i'm watching i watched one of them this morning and then i watched finding nemo the night before and i'm just like i'm just in awe of of this movie's voice performances i don't i, I don't think for a second that these people are in a booth i imagine I, these fish talking and I, running around because i definitely feel like the thing also with that is i feel like again it's almost like as a child or even like immediate like first thought you're like oh yeah i'd love to see ellen like doing the whale voice in the thing but then i'm like but how does Albert Brooks do that? You think you do things that you just can't, Nemo? Like, how is he brought to that level yeah. in a recording booth and being told, yeah. yeah, you're hanging off a whale tongue right now. Like, how do you get to that level of vocal performance? And honestly, yeah. how does Ellen? Because Ellen matches him in that scene, too. Like, I'm curious, did they record together? Because, like, <laughs> some of these scenes get so, like, yeah, raw. <laughs> I guess I should have looked that up, but I did not. Um, We've got more episodes coming. We'll look up. Yeah, some. we'll do it for the Dory one. We'll do it. We've got a while for finding Dory. Well, um, it's I don't know. It's it's so difficult. I'm really not. I'm not the guy for that. But we know a few people. It's it's just it's just incredible. I can't I can't compare them. Yeah. Sure. Um, yes, sir. I also wanted to mention one other thing um, before we get to the conception of Pixar bit, which is. There's a, there's also a thing I'm saving for the end because I'm saving for the end because no one's brought it up. And if someone brings it up, we'll talk about it, but we'll see. Um, but I would like to talk about. I feel like maybe you guys didn't write this, but did you guys read the Odyssey in high school? Because I feel like every single person who did definitely had someone in the class, and in this case, it was me who wrote the paper. It was like name a uh, narrative similar to the Odyssey and write about it, and uh, of course. Finding Nemo, uh, <laughs> obviously Nemo, I and mean, Marlin is Odysseus. Like, it is one of the most, uh, it is probably the Odyssey narrative I can think of in modern movies. Like, I can't even think of another one that isn't just like, oh yeah, it's the hero's journey. No, this is like, it is an episodic film. Yeah. Um, where it is just like the Odyssey in that sense. Um, and I don't know, that's not really like something to talk about. It's just like, I feel like this is something, because I Googled right before going on, I was like, Find Nemo the Odyssey, and yep, there's a ton of people who wrote papers on it. 
Like yeah, the comparison sense. is there. I, was, so. I always think of. I mean, obviously, it was coming out at the same time as Lord of the Rings, but I was thinking yeah. of like. I was thinking of like Nemo as like Lord of the Rings for kids. <laughs> I can see that. Like, you like, it's just like this big journey, even though it's like, it's so, which makes it so crazy. This movie's an hour and 40 minutes long. But well, it's like, the thing is, like, it does feel like the reason why it feels like the Odyssey to me, I remember, and it is the key is that scene where, you know, we cut to all these fish being told the story back and forth. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's becoming this oral tradition of there's a father. Yeah. Who's trying to get across the entire bit, ocean yeah. to see their. Like, but like, son. I just like always think of it like, how did they make this whole like thing, this epic journey that like I compare to Lord of the Rings, like work in an hour and forty minute space? And that's kind of where I go back to where like, oh, this thing gets going right off the bat. Yeah. And just like it gets going. They're going full throttle full time. I'm just like it feels like this movie feels big and epic in its scope in a way that I feel like some other like Pixar like movies that I think are like they'll like do a similar like journey kind of like aspect to them don't feel necessarily like I mean inside out feels like the obvious comparison in my head like I think the, Coco has elements of it but Coco is more of obviously a Dante's Inferno type of thing than an Odyssey thing you know yeah like inside I think inside out is like I feel like has a similar like two characters go on a journey while some other characters are doing this and but that. like a dinosaur no I'm kidding <laughs> yeah I mean um, but like like to me, Inside Out obviously doesn't have like, doesn't feel like it has the scope of Finding Nemo, and f- for obvious reasons, it's inside your head versus across the entire ocean. But like, you see what I'm saying? No, no I get what you're saying. I just don't have much to add. You know, I agree. Um, what I was also going to say though, before uh, we talk about our conception of Pixar, is it's just a little moment where I had a little fridge logic today, and you guys are gonna be like, you guys are totally okay to reply to this. With, okay, Danny. Because there's not, there's not going to be much. It was it's just something that stood out to me, which is when, like, Nemo failed at breaking the tank. And he's moping around. And the purple fish is like, don't tell him about D-A-R. And he goes, I know what you're talking about. And I'm like, yeah, because kids can spell. Then I remember, oh, wait, Marlin and Nemo don't know how to read. <laughs> Boom. Whoa. <laughs> Okay. So, where does this put our um? How do how do we word the question? How does this contribute to our conception of Pixar? I feel like Man, it obviously if Pixar like, made every movie like this, I'd love it. I think that every Pixar movie, I feel like I compare this in some way because it feels like it deviates somehow from the per, the mental perfection of Finding Nemo to me. What a weird phrase that is, but I Finding Nemo is just so pleasurable to me. I mean, yeah, I feel like it is like the prototypical, the perfect Pixar movie, you know? Yeah. Um, even if I don't personally think it's a per- I, I mean, I just, I'm upping it to a five, but I don't think it is like top five Pixar to me. <laughs> There's just so many that are five out of fives to me. Um, but, you know, it's still like, oh, it's great. You know, I'm sorry. I hate to be like, yeah, it's great. But it is great. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to me, I think it, like, it defines, not only to me, like, it doesn't only just, like, define what a Pixar movie, to me, to me, it, like, defines what a movie can be, what, like, a mainstream movie can achieve, just the kind of scope and, like, the emotion that it um, elicits from the audience, like, it, to me, it defines, just, like, what a 
big scale movie of that scope can achieve. It all comes from fish. Just fish. <laughs> um, now, anything else worth mentioning? Now, do you two have anything else you want to talk about with the movie? Because I have one last thing I saved to the end. But if you guys want to talk about something with the movie we haven't talked about, speak now or forever hold your peace. I mean, I feel like it would be a crime to not talk about the Thomas Newman score. Yes, that's what I was saving for the end, is the Thomas yeah. Newman score. Yeah, it's um, so good. It's so good. I I have dropped this check before. I think it is a top five score of all time. I yeah, think it is. 100%. And it, I think if I could see any, if I could pick like any movie to see in concert, I don't know if this would be what I'm going to pick because I'd have to really sit down and think about it, but it'd be the first thing to come to mind. Like, oh, I would, or, or How to Train Your Dragon. Like, those are the two anime movies that would come to mind immediately. It was like, I'd love to hear this in Orc in concert. I, I um, see it's funny looking at Thomas Newman's filmography and just like the movies he's done, like mostly like since this. It's just like, I feel like Thomas Newman gets underrated because he just does like, doesn't do a lot of movies that draw a lot of attention to him. I think he is a lot like Michael Giacchino, where I'm really always impressed by his Pixar collaborations, and then yeah. otherwise it's kind of like, eh, you're good. <laughs> I think the Thomas Newman score is always good, but just like I think he does, like I think he does a lot of good work on movies that people are like, oh, we're not going to talk about it because no one cares about this movie. Yeah, like I think what's it? Um, I think Saving Mr. Banks is an incredible score. Yeah, just um, like he does stuff that like is like when you listen to it, it's a really good score, but like no one's gonna talk about it but with this one it's but this is like even like um, um well even um the when marlin's following after the boat that piece yeah. right there is so good yeah that's why like it's like it goes crazy like again it seems unconscious be crazy because you get all these like different variations i also was thinking like the mission impossible riff music that is you know it's not even like it's not even sampling it it's just clearly riffing off of it yeah where it's like oh this is crazy here thomas newman because you know he normally does like these melodramas so it's like yeah we're gonna have him do this epic about a fish that goes across the ocean and he just goes ham but it still is like undeniably a thomas newman score yeah yeah it's so good just... yeah that's, that's what i was saying for that i was like we gotta talk about the score because this is a this is also Robin Tar podcast because I always say big deal, big change. This is the first time they didn't work with Randy. They worked with Tommy instead of Randy with the Newmans. Uh, and good, because I cannot. I know we've been complimenting Randy Newman throughout these episodes, but I cannot imagine a Randy Newman score, and I cannot. It would never not be as good as this. No, so you can't have another score for this movie. There's no way. It's so beautiful. Can I ask you, Carson, because we've we've got you here as the guest, and d this is the first time I've really wanted to talk about a score, even though we talked about every Randy Newman score. I agree <laughs> with you both. This is like the first score that I feel like, whoa, my gosh. Um, are you also, Carson, a big score nerd like Danny? He's a bigger one than me, I think. And I mean yeah. in a good way, yeah. but like, can you talk about that? I'm always amazed. Like, cause I'll listen to the Star Wars soundtrack CDs, but I'm kind of bad about following scores. I mean, yeah, I just think like, um, I just feel like score is such like a huge part of like engage like with a, of a of a movie like that you don't think about. Just like when you watch a movie, there's like Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo is an easy example. We're talking about it right now. Like, what this score contributes to, like what you feel when watching this movie is just like it's such a huge gigantic part of it like you take away the score the movie's obviously still probably a masterpiece 
but you add this score to it, it, it just gives you so much. And just like, well, there's, and it's the way that like, I can hear cues from this movie and it triggers emotions inside of me because I just, it's a connection and experience that I have connect, just automatically connected with, you know, whatever those are. It's just like the main opening theme that comes over whenever the, um, Nemo egg. That's the, the, that's the cue. I know the cue by, I know that cue by heart because I used to yeah. always like cue it up on YouTube. Do, no, do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever that kind of just, it just immediately triggers emotion shit. And I, yeah, I love. <clears throat> I say I listen to film score just when I'm working on stuff, and but. In a way, I get mad when the credits roll in this movie, and it's Frank Sinatra. It's just like, no, give me Thomas Newman playing yeah. out of the theater. I just think it's a huge part of movies, and I don't know that I, I mean. I don't mean it Danny in a bad said he, way. Danny just but, said I was bigger scorner than him. I'm not sure if that's 100% true, but I mean, I like... I think, no, because the difference between you and me is I don't really listen to scores out of context of a movie. I just, like, clock them when I'm watching them. Because that's... I remember we got an argument over the Nope score because you're like, it's not good out of context. I'm like, I don't know. Well, it's great that, in context to me, so I don't care. I'm not going to listen to it out of context. It's <laughs> like, yeah, probably... Yeah. Yeah, that's all I meant by that. It's really like, I don't go out of go out of my way to listen to that because you know there are a couple movies where i've done that and it's like like as a there i had a phase where i listen to scores and now when i watch how train dragon which i love i i know the name of every track when it starts to play and i i don't like that i like to just watch the movie and not think of like still clock when i'm like oh yeah this is a great score but i don't like to be like oh yeah this specific part that plays right here um like for example i think the last movie the most recent movie i've done that with is interstellar and I love it yeah. Stellar, but I hate that like during the no time for caution scene now I just hear like the specific Zimmer track. Even though it's a great track, it's like I'd still would rather be more caught up in the movie. Yeah, gotcha. So, yeah. So I think everybody did that with Interstellar. Like yeah. even like casual <laughs> so even like score. casual people. I mean, like... I also think about the Gone Girl score, but that's because of film school. because uh, everyone just used it as a track in there. <laughs> their, their, their student films. <laughs> It's so funny you mentioned that because I'm not the hugest Interstellar fan, but I am. I have a big part of. I'm a big part of the music in the production that I'm in right now, and I was figuring something out on the piano as a possible accompaniment track today. And someone, an actor, another actor came over and asked if it was from Interstellar, and I was like, "All right, can't use that option in the show." It's wild how that has sunk into the culture. Yeah, I think like like no time to caution. Like I feel like I know people who like do not listen to film scores, but no time to caution. They like they know what that is. I feel like the last movie that I've listened to a specific track on that I can single out, which is also because it's the end of the movie. But when the final John Williams track in Force Awakens plays, I'm always like, oh, all right, here's that that track I always listen to, the Jedi steps in finale. <laughs> Great. And then, of course, I leave it on because no one turns... If I'm watching Star Wars at home, I'm just going to let the score play me out. You know? <laughs> I'm not going to turn it off. Um, but... All right. Carson, Gil, hot or not? Hot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Carson, hot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's good looking. Why? I, yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> it's, that, it's that sexy voice. That William Defoe voice. You can't, you can't say no. And it's a nice one, Defoe voice. Not an evil one. Or a pathetic one. Yeah. Okay. Composes entire Spider-Man performance. Which, uh, cyber <laughs> pathetic or evil. So. Um, I just, I feel like that was the elephant in the room. And I just, <laughs> we <needed> I to... <laughs> 
let's wrap it up. Um, yeah. So, Mar- uh, Carson, Carson, we we like to do something here. You know, a lot of people will give the film a rating or something like that. We like to actually give the film something. Like if you were to give this film a physical object that you thought was appropriate, give it a gift or something like that, what 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 would you give it? Well, well, let's do ours first, because that's usually... Sorry, Carson. Usually we do give it first, because I feel like the guests get a little lost. Um, I'm going to give it the... Well, we just talked about him. And Thomas Newman has is one of the most nominated people at the Oscars to never win. So I'll give him his deserved Oscar back in 2003. <laughs> I'm going to steal Howard Shore's win for Return of the King, scribble it out in front, and put Thomas Newman <laughs> finding Nemo under it. And I'm handing that to the movie. And they can forward it to Thomas Newman when need to. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to give it a Hot Wheels Highway 35th Anniversary <laughs> Switchback First Edition. It looks like a yellow truck. It's for $2 on eBay. But I just want to give it the good memories that that I have from that time. Yeah, that's kind of better than my gift. I don't think. Oh, it's, I, don't really I think care. you gave that man a whole Oscar. It's true. He's been he's been he's been looking for one for quite some time. <laughs> We're looking for the ocean. He's looking for the Oscar. <laughs> I'm really sad because I wanted to. I knew I wanted to give it a Hot Wheels thing, and it's all this uh, 2003 first editions 3248 red Ford F150 Highway 35 164. Carson, what are you scale. gonna give? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I go back to, and I think about the fact that, and I already talked about this, um, that I own this movie on DVD, that not, not only that I own this movie, literally every household that I have, feel like I've ever been in has this movie on DVD. And it is, what, like some absurd number, like the most the highest selling DVD of all time. And DVD obviously has gone out of, somewhat gone out of fashion. So um, in that sense, I want to... Um, give it. I'm, 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 I was torn on which way to go with this. I was either gonna go. I was gonna give it a DVD player. That doesn't make much sense either. And then I'm gonna give it a copy of itself. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. But I guess I'm gonna go that route. Because that's, honestly, <laughs> as soon as you started, I was hoping that's where you would get. Yeah, I'm gonna and give it a copy of that... itself because it probably <laughs> is the only thing in the world not to have a copy of Finding Nemo. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Like that's yeah. a good answer. <laughs> and I was like, "What are you talking about?" And I was like, "Oh wait, yeah, I wouldn't have it." <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> All right, All right. Um, Carson. Do you have anything you want to plug or rather tell us where to find you? I know um, you have a letterbox. You want to pick that letterboxed? Uh, I don't. Even, I don't know. If you know what my letterbox handle is though. <laughs> Isn't it just your name? <laughs> it's like it's either just my name or like my name in like a number or something. I'm not 100% sure. Or like my name in an underscore. Yeah, it's just my name. It's just Carson Hume. All right. All run great. together. Yeah, that's my letterbox if you want to follow me on there. All right. Nice. Danny, what are we, we doing next you. time? We did. Well, we found thanks, Carson. Carson, for coming on. You're yeah, welcome. thank you. This was great. Next time, well, as we've covered several times in this episode, 
Finding Nemo was the biggest selling DVD of all time. Ergo, we can assume the highest selling Pixar short film of all time on DVD was the Jacques Cousteau DVD bonus feature where Finding Nemo, where Dory, Marlon, and Nemo travel with Jacques Cousteau to explore the reef. So we will... I don't think that's his name. I think I'm messing up his name. <laughs> I don't think it's Jacques Cousteau. Uh, Jean-Michael Cousteau. That's who it is. Jean-Michael Cousteau. You sure it's not Jean-Michel? <laughs> Maybe it's that. I don't know. We're, we're, we're going to explore the reef of him. Um, cool. Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. If you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.